It's Christmas Eve. All who believe Santa is here, but once a year, all girls and boys dream of new toys. Soundly they sleep, wishes to keep. Jing jingling, come hear us sing. Breaths on the door, stockings and more. Magic the strides, spells come alive. Snow in the air, laughter to share. Shadows Literary Licensed Podcast Episodes. Ben Stokes here, exploring all things Collinsport, Maine, and following the likes of the Collins family, and the friends and foes, with your co-hosts, Tom Diamond, Jesse Fultz, Vicky Ray, and Keith Chalgo, Collins family, story about blood relations, literally. Hello, welcome to Literary License Podcast, and today we're discussing Dark Shadows, episodes 440 to 460. And before we get started, let's find out who's with us. Today we have a special person who's entered our podcast today to give a special season's greeting, and it's Catherine Lee Scott. Hello, Catherine, how are you? I couldn't be better. Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays, wherever you are. I hope you're safe and healthy and finding some joy and in the season. And then another special guest um, co-host we have today is Patrick McCray. Hello, Patrick. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. How are you? Oh, I'm just groovy. And of <laughs> course, we have our regular people on board with us. And we have Vicki Ray. Hello, Vicki. Hello, everybody. Happy holidays. Hello, Tom. I'm groovy too, man. And yes, hello, everybody. And I hope you're all doing well. And of course, we have Jesse Fultz with us. Hello, Jesse. Hey, how's everybody doing? And of course, I'm Kishago. Before we get started, let's find out what everyone's been up to. So we'll go around the room and I'll start with Vicky. So what have you been up to since last time we spoke to you? 
Well, not a whole lot because it wasn't that long ago we spoke, but it was just like the Christmas stuff. We're trying to get ready for the holidays because things are a little different this year as, as per the, the norm, I guess you want to call it. Um, the new norm. Yeah, the whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I don't know anymore. It's the end of the year. I'm afraid to see what 2021 is going to do to us. But nope, just, uh, just uh, doing our podcast thing, Christmas shopping. I'm actually getting some cooking and baking done. Asher likes to bake. My grandson's always with me when he's not with his mom. So just all that good, groovy family stuff this week. And for all our listeners out there, Vicky, we're sending you a dozen cookies to every every one of our listeners. <laughs> oh. <laughs> have to write info at llpodcast.com. <laughs> and, and so, Tom, what have you been up to? Because I think it's been about a month since you've been on. How have you been doing? Absolutely well. I'm doing I'm doing well <clears throat> uh, professionally. Uh, I just got a job offer uh, for the following fall as an adjunct professor. Uh, of business at a a state university in Tennessee, Stephen F. Austin. And so I'm happy. And so I'm happy about that. And uh, I had almost a meltdown yesterday because one of the professors who gave me a reference after I got the job asked me if he could put his resume in for that same job. Uh, So Um, I had a little, I had a little talk with him and he had a little talk with me. Uh, But I think it's straightened out. And, uh, but as a result, I was up till three in the morning prepping for Dark Shadows last night and uh, just watched a couple of episodes this morning. So that's the, but uh, that's the real world. Uh, Merry Christmas, of course, from myself and Sharon to everybody out there. Um, The, in terms of, in terms of the the TV land, I started watching Mrs. Brown's Boys. Keith, do you know about Keith? Yeah. Fantastic! Isn't it's, um, that wonderful? That uh, and, and they're all they're all part of the same family, you know. They're a family. I've heard, yes, yes. The son is on there. the The little kid is his grandson. Uh, and Brand Brendan. I'm forgetting the last name. God help me, but it's brilliant. <laughs> it's it's real. It's really brilliant. And continuing to, and continuing to watch The Crown, uh, which is I I, uh, I binged watched. I cruised right through that. <laughs> All it's, four seasons. I loved it. It's very, very... I'm on the third season right now. It's very, very interesting. Extremely well done. Historically historically accurate. And Pretty good. The, it's not bad. And the scenery is beautiful, especially, mm-hmm. especially in Scotland. We have sure a lot of Scotland is. in there. I love Scotland. You know, and Ireland, of course. Who can forget that? So anyway, uh, that's, uh, you know, so... And that's me. That's what's going on. And what about yourself, Jess? What have you been up to? Well, before I explain that, um, there is a really interesting, um, uh, I guess you could say you could find articles in the synopsis of The Crown through the court jeweler, and it talks about the jewels that are featured in it, but also gives um, the differences between what actually happened historically and also the um, artistic um, licenses that they took advantage of in the show. It's really cool. Um, I'll have to look that so up. If you, yeah, if if you're watching and, and you want to check that out with every episode, it's really cool. Uh, that's something that I use when I watch the show. And as far as what I've been doing, um, I've been catching up on holiday stuff too. I have a lot of sketches that I have to finish for people because <laughs> that's what I do. Um, and I think that's that's better than like just buying stuff that I'm you... I'm waiting for my sketch of Rob Zombie. Don't... I feel totally slighted. <laughs> 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 Better get her that yeah, one okay. for Christmas. 
Hint, hint, hint. Okay, I'll, I'll put that on the list too. Um, After all we've meant to each other, Jess. <laughs> yes, well, that's okay. I'm horning in now. <laughs> um, yeah, so I have lots of sketches to do. Um, I'm trying to finish um, my website. Um, my t-shirts, my t-shirt design, which uh, that'll probably happen after I finish the holiday stuff, just because that's coming up really quickly. So, um, and then I'll finish the t-shirt, finish my website, and that should be up soon. And that's pretty much all I've been doing. I watch like an episode of The Crown a day because I don't really have much time to watch TV aside from uh, doing our podcast stuff. Oh, and finishing The Hunchback of Notre Dame for our next podcast. So. And myself, um, I'll do it myself and then um, we'll carry on with our guest co-host. Um, myself, i um, got one more week of work and then I'm taking my, taking any three weeks off. It'll be my first three weeks since last Christmas. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, interesting show on Netflix, Alice in Borderland. If you're a fan of Japanese um, films or TV shows, it follows along kind of like Battle Royale. So if you're a fan of Battle Royale, watch that. And the computer game that I wrote in the script for will be out on the 21st of July, 2021, and available on Xbox, PlayStation, and this is a very shameless promotion. Yes, I know. What so is it, though? <laughs> What's the game? Shameless. called Back to Blood. It's Left for Dead 3, which will be, oh. out. It'll be out by from Valve, and it will be out, and we'll have more information on that, and I believe that Valve said I'd be able to give five or six games away in July when it comes out. So, yay. Awesome. That sounds exciting. Yeah. So if you want someone's useless signature on them, I'll be happy to sign them to you. And before we go any further, (laughs) what we'll do is we'll talk to Patrick McRae. So, Patrick, what have you been up to since last time we spoke to you? Well, you know, I'm a I'm a rube, a, a knave, a jack and apes, a privileged idiot. I'm I'm slouching towards Bethlehem even as we speak. So things like the crown and all of that sort of frighten me. But what I've been trying to figure out is why does the Mandalorian, if he can't take off his helmet, why does he have such a natty and neatly trimmed mustache. I love What's him. The- Leave him alone. I love <laughs> I'm not listening. <laughs> I'm questioning. He does take his I'm exploring, off. I'm exploring the text. But um, at, at about the, the, the deepest depth that I'm capable of, uh, you know, I spent Thanksgiving working on a project for uh, Wallace. And now Wallace is spending some time working on that project also. And that will be coming out sooner rather than later. And I'm very, very, very excited about it. Uh, There may even be, uh, he was threatening to do sort of a Christmas preview almost along the lines of a very famous substitute for a toy line that was not ready for Christmas of 1977. And so a little something else was put out in its place. And some of you may remember that. Uh, it's what Kenner did when they didn't have the Star Wars toys quite ready. And so we've talked about putting something like that out, maybe as a stopgap just for fun. But it's, uh, it's a big project for Collinsport Historical Society. We've been working on it for... Oh, gosh, for about five years. But in earnest, it just passed the one-year milestone back around November 5th. And uh, I'm really excited about it. And what about yourself, Catherine? What have you been up to since last time we spoke to you, which I think is almost about a year and a half to two years ago? Yeah, it's been a while. 
Is she? I think she's frozen. Did she froze? I think she froze. Like Madonna. It is. Cu- it is quite cold. Nice picture. <laughs> it was the there, there she is again. The there she is. Can you Somebody hear us, Catherine? It just said uh, connection unstable, and I hope that's not a reference to me. But no. <laughs> uh, so I'm back, and uh, and I am. I I, uh, I. This is really a treat. First of all, it's. So I get to wish everybody a, a very happy Christmas, wherever you are. And I get to thank Patrick McRae in person uh, oh, hello. For, for really building a fabulous website. Uh, we, we worked on it for about a year and uh, debuted it, I think it was about three months ago. Mm-hmm. And I am absolutely thrilled. Uh, if anybody needs a new website, get in touch. I'm, I couldn't be happier with it. And awesome. all of my books are on it. And this is not oh, promotion here uh, <laughs> because I, I, in prepping myself for today, am I, am I frozen or am I? No, you're am no, I still we're reading it. No, we're reading it. You're doing well. <laughs> oh, good. All right. Uh, but in prepping for uh, to today, um, I've been looking through the 35th anniversary of Dark Shadows Memories, and uh, which has the episode guide in the back. And this is not a, a sh- <laughs> shameless promotion because the book is out of print. You can't get it anyway. Um, but I don't think that I'm in any of those episodes. I think Josette uh, is out of the picture. And I think the, um, uh, the, the hand... I seem to remember being around <laughs> about the, the hand. hand. Timothy um, Gordon. The hand. And then I think, we're, I think we're coming up on the dream sequence when Maggie returns mm-hmm. again. Um, mm-hmm. I think that I was off the show for a while because uh, I was doing a play off-Broadway. I think that's that might have been uh, around that time. It was 1968, yep. if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yep. So I had a bit of time off, but I do have a couple of random thoughts. How about this? For our new year, let's bring Dark Shadows back again as a series. Yes, absolutely. The last last several days, I have been reading in Hollywood Reporter and Deadline and so on. One series after the other is being brought Little House on the Prairie. I I I was in uh, Little House on the Prairie. Wow. A lot of unanswered back, questions. They are bringing back, and they're bringing back L.A. Law. They're bringing back mm. all of these. Uh, I mean, Hawaii Five O was already brought back a yeah. while ago, which I was in. All of these series are coming back again. So why not Dark Shadows? I think that that's yeah. just exactly. bizarre because I was interviewed for a piece that uh, that was in the New York Times. And it was about comfort watching, comfort television. Right. And yeah, I, this I fellow, Eric Pippenberg, wrote the most wonderful piece. Yeah, Eric wrote the most wonderful piece about Dark Shadows and, and what a comfort it was. And and I I have to say, if there's anything that we need in this crazy time of ours, uh, comfort. it's comfort. You said and it. I can't imagine anything that feel more than Dark Shadows because... It's really fantasy and uh, and just um, adventure, <laughs> it's just romance, good, got it all. good com- uh, how, how much Dark Shadows has meant to them. Uh, it got them through a terrible childhood. It got them through a, yeah. a difficult adolescence. 
uh, sitting on the couch and watching with their grandmother uh, was one of the, the best memories of their childhood. Uh, there are so many letters that I've received like that and still do. And that's what Eric Pippenberg was, uh, was referring to, the fact that Dark Shadows was such a, a comfort to everyone. So um, I don't know how we do this, but just let <laughs> let, let the forces know that uh, we want Dark Shadows back again. <laughs> Catherine, the Halloween special, though, was, yeah. it was so well-received. Um, my goodness, I think it, it was a few weeks ago, but it looked like it had 28,000 viewers. 20,000. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. I it was great. Good. It was the first time that we had an actor-generated event. It was totally actor-generated. It was just us getting together. Um, and uh, and I think it's the first time that all of us uh, were together. That I... That I, I um, I reached out to a couple of actors uh, to to uh, to join us, and for various reasons they couldn't. They but we would have had almost every living Dark Shadows original actor uh, in wow. that in that Zoom cast. Wow! Well, which yeah. is really wonderful. but everybody jumped aboard. I cannot tell you. I got the you know the most wonderful private messages and phone calls from all of the actors saying you know how how terrific it felt to just see each other. And I know we were just talking nonsense and there was no uh, rhyme or reason to what we were saying. It was more than nonsense. We wanted to, in fact, I think that we were all sort of uh, taken aback at just seeing each other again. I hadn't seen Nancy Barrett in a couple of years. So, um, and Mitch Ryan, we meet for lunch every once in a while um when i'm in la but uh, you know and laura and i time david selby and i talk all the time uh or or we're in communication put it that way but uh you we've know had, it's been a long time since I we we've others. had some of them on here and we only wish we could have more of them because uh they People like to hear from them it would be nice it's a, the fans are the fans are so and what a coup to have david hennessy for the first time ever <laughs> Uh, which everybody was just so was just so we we it was just marvelous uh, to hear him to hear him give his thoughts uh, because the last time we all saw him was when he was a kid uh, on the show so here he is the adult and we never had the chance to you know to get a to get a view of the person the 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 businessman uh, the family man uh, he's he's had some life for himself. Yeah, he's a, he's a great guy. So it, it, it was really wonderful, and I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm thrilled that we did it. Uh, we'll probably do it again. Uh, give us some time to uh, put another one together. We hope so. Uh, and and it was special for us. It was a great way for us to stay in touch. So I'm del- I'm delighted. Uh, I don't think we'll be having a 55th um, festival. Uh, the time is just not right for that. And to get all of us together and to get fans together in a place that they can afford uh, uh, to stay, to get to. Um, Jim Pearson did a brilliant job for many, many years. Uh, but I know what, that, what went into that and yeah. the work that all of the volunteers did. Uh, uh, and the, the times are just not right for that again. Well, hopefully one year, one set. I mean, I don't mean to end up in sad here. <laughs> 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 Dark shadows. What else could you expect? 
but getting together, getting together in one place. Um, well, now I'm told that my connection is unstable again. So I hope you can hear me. We can hear you. We're getting it. Yeah, we're getting through. Oh. Um, Patrick, well, you had a query for anyway, Catherine that you want to ask? Yeah, I just had one question. Um, if if you were producer of a new Dark Shadows series and you just had one simple mandate for the writers, what would it be? Oh, Good question. That would, I love yeah, that question. Yeah, that's an excellent question. Um, first of all, the uh, whoever the next time uh, has the has the task of, uh, of satisfying all of those who do and love Dark Shadows as it was, but also moving it forward. I always think that Star Trek did such an amazing job of reinventing itself again and again. I was part of one of those iterations. Um, I would, if I were to say one thing, Patrick, mm-hmm. it would be to find that incredible balance uh, with horror, sci-fi, fiction, fantasy, romance, uh, check all of that and finding that um, that balance again uh, that that I think would make it a success okay what do you think Patrick you're the one who you've always got such good ideas on Oh what Lord! You um, if uh, oh gosh, if I were to do something like that, I think uh, I think my mandate would be that it is um, it is much more about optimism and people capable of reinventing themselves than it is about horror. Although it yeah. has to have horror uh, wrapped up in and around it, I, I really think it needs almost a Robert Zemeckis touch uh oh, that's the that's, that's the feel that i would want it all right i am going to love you and leave you i'm going to wish you all a very merry christmas <laughs> and uh, i mean it can't, it can't be as bad as this one that would be unbearable so you want to say thank you for joining us and you have a very merry christmas and a happy new year and make all your dreams and happiness come through for 2021 Yes. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas Catherine. Catherine. Thank you. Merry so Christmas. Merry Christmas, Catherine. Thank it was Christmas. wonderful to meet you. Great seeing you again. Great seeing you. So it was great to have Catherine on. But before we go on to the main part of the show, let's go to Story Geek, who could tell you what you could be watching, what you could be streaming, or what you can be downloading during the COVID crisis. And this week from Story Geek, he's going to tell you what the best stuff that you stream, downloaded, or watched online for 2020. So take it away, Story Geek. What movies and TV shows should you be watching the week of December 14th? I'm Jay Shear, co-writer and co-director of Death of a Bounty Hunter. Posters behind me here on the wall. The supernatural steampunk western. Available now as a full cast audiobook and a novel. Check out our preview at deathofabountyhunter.com. On this week's segment, I am giving you my top 10 things that came out on streaming this year in 2020 plus a few extras as honorable mentions. With this year almost over, thankfully, how should we be spending the rest of our time? Maybe watching some things on streaming. Now, I should note that there are several things coming out that I have not yet seen. Wonder Woman 1984, Soul, for example. Those might be amazing and might make my final top 10 list, but if you want to still catch some of this stuff, I want to make sure you have this information in your hands. First up, my honorable mentions. These did not make my top 10, but were very close. First up, Tiger King. You know, pre-pandemic, when 2020 was looking like an improvement over 2019, the world was riveted 
by Tiger King. And for good reason, it's very entertaining. Plus it's got Carol's Bashkins. Something else I recommend is The Floor is Lava. The editing on The Floor is Lava is super weird. But that doesn't take away from the fact that it's a very fun show and you should definitely check it out. Now if you're looking for something heartwarming, I highly recommend Love on the Spectrum. Part documentary, part reality TV show. It follows people on the spectrum trying to find love. And it's fantastic and you should go check it out. The Holiday Movies That Made Us fantastic writing and editing drive this show but they're also talking about movies that we love including holiday movies that we love with behind the scenes information highly recommend the holiday movies that made us restaurants on the edge back when covid lockdowns started rolling out this was a perfect little vacation show a way to escape a little bit now watching right now might make me cry because we can't go anywhere but the food looks amazing the locations are amazing and it's a really fun show to watch the final recommendation for me rounding out my honorable mentions middle ditch and schwartz some truly hilarious moments unfold in just these three episodes i hope they do more as with most improv it's hit or miss but with these two guys, it is mostly hit. There are some really funny bits here. If you like improv even just a little, Middle Ditch and Swartz is fantastic. All right, here we go. Starting with number 10, Enola Holmes. Now, Millie Bobby Brown is incredibly entertaining, and Enola Holmes is a perfect vehicle for her. It's not a perfect film by any means. It gets a little dark near the end for little kids, Otherwise, it's a really fun ride. Henry Cavill as Sherlock feels like Hulk Hogan playing Bill Nye the Science Guy. But hey, we know that Sherlock Holmes liked to use PEDs to get his mind going. Maybe he decided to use it to get his muscles going too. But ignore all that. Enola Holmes is fun. You should go watch it. Enola Holmes is available on Netflix. Coming in at number nine, The Queen's Gambit. I didn't know The Queen's Gambit was about chess when I started watching. And I like chess, but I haven't played in over a decade. But guess what? It doesn't matter. It is a fantastic show with amazing performances across the board. Fantastic production design as well. It makes this series worth your time, so I highly recommend it. The Queen's Gambit is also available on Netflix. Coming in at number eight, Onward. I was not interested in Onward when I saw the previews. It felt like Pixar was maybe trying a little too hard, and then I watched it. And as is the case with most Pixar movies, I loved it. Onward is available on Disney+. Coming in at number seven, Schitt's Creek, the final season. Schitt's Creek was a fantastic sitcom, one of the better ones in recent years. And the last season did not disappoint, including the finale, which a lot of times just goes really wrong, like How I Met Your Mother. I'm still mad about the finale of that show. But Schitt's Creek was one of the better pieces of content to come out on streaming in 2020. It is available on Netflix. Available for rent now is Bill and Ted Face the Music, and it comes in at number six. The older Bill and Ted films have become cult classics. And as we've seen numerous times, trying to reignite nostalgia years later can be a total disaster. But while Bill and Ted Face the Music isn't quite as entertaining as Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, it's better than Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and it's a really, really fun ride. Please go watch that film if you're into Bill and Ted at all. I think you will enjoy it. Coming in at number five, a stand-up special, Nate Bargetze, The Tennessee Kid. 
I watch a lot of stand-up comedy. And we're sort of in a golden age of stand-up comedy right now. There's a lot of great specials out there. Nate Bargetze is one of my personal favorites. I was able to see him in person at the Bray Improv this last year, and it was one of the best stand-up performances I have ever seen. And his stand-up special, The Tennessee Kid, on Netflix is awesome, and I highly recommend you go watch it. Coming in at number four on Disney Plus is Hamilton, the musical. I can count on one hand the number of musicals that I actually enjoy. It's not really my thing, but Hamilton is fantastic. Lin-Manuel Miranda and his co-creators do something here that is remarkable. By retelling the story of Alexander Hamilton with a diverse cast, they allow immigrants to embrace a revolutionary but oppressive time period. That's really difficult to do, and I know not everybody appreciates it, but I was stunned with how inclusive they were able to be in Hamilton. They do call out the bad, but they also embrace the good for what it can do for our future. So it's not all about looking into the past, it's about what we're going to do moving forward. Hamilton, in my opinion, is a can't miss. It's on Disney+. Plus. Coming in at number three, The Last Dance on Netflix. A docu-series on Michael Jordan's career. I barely pay attention to sports anymore. I just don't have the time for it. I wish I did. But I loved Air Jordan as a kid and wore a bunch of his clothes. I couldn't afford the shoes, but I would wear Air Jordan t-shirts. And I found this documentary incredibly riveting. He's a very fascinating personality and clearly one of the best competitors of all time. If you loved him, if you hate him, or if you're just a fan of athletes or basketball, I would highly recommend The Last Dance on Netflix. Coming in at number two, The Umbrella Academy Season 2. The Umbrella Academy is quirky, it's weird, the characters are total disasters, and that's why I love it. It's fun, it's funny, it's also very heartwarming and endearing. If you like quirky comic book action, you'll enjoy this show. But it is a love it or hate it kind of a thing, so be warned, but it does come in at my number two. And coming in at number one, this is not going to be surprising to anybody, The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian season two came out this year. We're about to see the season finale this week, and I am sure it will not disappoint because the rest of the season has been completely phenomenal. If you're a Star Wars fan, this show is bringing the entire fandom together because pretty much everybody loves it. Only steer clear of The Mandalorian if you're a true Star Wars hater, and if you are a true Star Wars hater, I'm not sure we can be friends. The Mandalorian Season 2 is on Disney+. Plus. That is it. Those are my top 10. Do not forget, our novel and full cast audiobook, Death of a Bounty Hunter, is out now. A supernatural steampunk western. If you like Firefly or the Dark Tower series, or any sort of weird western like Jonah Hex, you'll be sure to enjoy Death of a Bounty Hunter. Go buy it for yourself or buy it as a Christmas present for somebody else. Visit www.deathofabountyhunter.com. This has been Jay Shear. I hope you have had fun, when you can, watching things on streaming over the course of this crazy weird year that is 2020. Have a great new year, and I will see you next year, and hopefully 2021 will be a lot better. Hopefully. Thanks for watching. Hello, welcome back to Literary License Podcast, and we're discussing episodes 440 to 460. So what we're going to go do now is cut to Into the Shadows, where Tom Diamond will tell us all about what is available and what were the bloopers, and some of the special guest stars that were in this episode of this block of Dark Shadows. So take it away, Tom.
Hi, everybody. Tom Diamond here for Literary License Podcast. And so we're now going to talk about the stars, first of all, for episodes 440 to 460. So Valor Clifton uh, is here once again as Maud Browning, one of the doxies that uh, Barnabas kills in episodes 440 and 441. And she comes back in a later episode in this block as her own ghost with Trask's dream. Okay, Timothy Gordon, uh, who has done a lot of extra work, continues to do this as Barnabas's hand that threatens Trask in episodes 440 and one other episode as well. Clarice Blackburn uh, appears as the ghost of Abigail Collins in episodes 441 and 442. It would have been nice if she had been on a little longer. Roger Davis continues to appear as Peter Bradford in episodes 443, 452, 453, 454, 455, and finally 460, the last episode of this block. Craig Slocum continues his role as Noah Gifford in 443, 444, 454, and 455, where he finally meets his demise at the hand of Vicki Winters, who shoots him as Noah is trying to kill Daniel Collins. Now, you may have noticed the maid in episode 445. There is no credit in either on the show or in Amazon.prime for her. It turns out that the maid was played by Charlotte Fairchild. Charlotte Fairchild had a lot of Broadway work. Uh, she was in the original cast of Damn Yankees, Mame. Uh, she was in a 1967 NBC episode called Experiment in Television, and she was also the nun in 1972's Silent Night, Bloody Night. David Hennessy continues as Daniel Collins in episodes 447, 448, 453, 454, and 455. Now, Bethia Mapes, the old lady who attempts to exorcise Barnabas, and by the way, that's one of the first, if not the first, exorcism scenes on television that was done seriously and not campy. So Dark Shadows, I think, lays claim to that. The Exorcist movie was going to be at least six or seven years later after that. And Bethia Mapes is played by Anita Sharp Bolster in, uh, from episodes 449, 450, and 451, where she meets her death. And what a shame, because she really could also have fit in very nicely into the show. She did a great job. Um, Anita Sharp Bolster was born in County Cork, Ireland in 1895, and she was 73 years old when she did that role on Dark Shadows. She has a couple of impressive movie credits. She was in Lost Weekend, Pride of the Yankees. My name is... My name is uh, Jake Rose, um, Going My Way, Jabberwocky. The, she was in the TV series The Saint, Scarlet Street, and also The Thin Man Goes Home with Myrna Loy and Dick Powell. She died on June 1st, uh, 1985, at the age of 88. And uh, Oh, and yeah, she was also in a couple of Sherlock Holmes, Rathbone Bruce movies. She was in Dressed to Kill and a movie that's called Prelude to Murder. Uh, the uh, Eagle Barmaid, uh, who had a 
walk on role in episode 450 and she actually had some lines in 459 is played by Rebecca Shaw the jailer or gowler is played by Howard Honig in episodes 452 and 460 Leslie Barrett reappears as Judge Hanley in episode 452 and this time he's got a mustache uh, it's uh, Howard. Um, oh, we getting back to Howard Honig. He was in City Slickers and Airplanes One and Two. So let's re- remember to give him that credit. But Leslie Barrett, as I said before, very weird honeymooners crossover, uh, where he played George in the George and Harvey episode. The big denouement, which was the hanging of Vicky in uh, episode four sixty. So the spectators were played by Timothy Gordon. Paul Craffy and Scott Upright. Howard Honig once again appeared as the Gowler, and James Shannon appeared as the Hangman. So that takes care of the stars that were on the show. There are a number of bloopers in this and these episodes. One of the things that you should be looking at uh, is the piece of furniture right below Barnabas's portrait in the in, at Collinwood. If you look very closely, especially in episode 459, it looks like that's an old-time radio because you can see the dials. At least I think you can see the dials on there. And uh, the Eagle Bar, uh, st- uh, which is a redress of the Blue Whale set, has the track lights that in the 20th century are used to light the blue whale as well as light the set. Well, track lights were not available in 1795. Uh, in episode 440, uh, in Tresk's rooms at the Three Bells, which was the hotel that he was at, the candle takes a long time to blow out uh, in Tresk's apartment. And did you notice the stuffed raven on the mantelpiece. Uh, quite an interesting decoration uh, in, a, in a hotel room in Collinwood. And uh, Millicent reads the tarot in episode 441. That's very interesting. I never knew Millicent had that uh, talent before. The uh, Fred is looking at the teleprompter in episode 442. Uh, what else is new? And also in that episode, you can see a string attached to the uh, book when it when it opens, and that's when uh, Barnabas is luring Trask to his death. Also in episode 440, you're going to see uh, a desk and chair in Trask's room. Well, in the next episode, 441, that desk and chair has been uh, mysteriously moved to the other side of the set, probably to give Jerry Lacey more room to work with. Okay. uh, Be sure, once again, to look at the closed captioning. There are a lot of errors uh, in the closed captioning. This isn't an error, but in the Dark Shadows introductory music in 443, closed captioning calls it creepy music. Uh, 443 is also the first episode where Collinsport Strangler is mentioned. So that's uh, so that part is very interesting. Closed captioning continues. One of the characters says, I know what you're making, and it's spelled M-A-C-O-N. 
And uh, now Joel Crothers in 454 comes up with a blooper. He says perhaps now and then perhaps not. The You will also notice that uh, in episode 446, uh, instead of in the closed captioning says how averted you are when it should be how perverted you are. Now, 446 is also known as the first episode to use the word vampire, according to Amazon Prime. I believe that there were one or two episodes uh, prior to 1795 where that first was introduced. So uh, all the trivia buffs uh, should should take a look at that. In episode 445, there is a hand in the right-hand corner of the screen as Forbes opens uh, the window at Collinwood. And also, another close captioning, Stokes is preferred to his Professor Stokes. Well, Professor Stokes is not going to exist uh, for another 200 years, and uh, you guys that stick with the episodes will see uh, the appearance of Ben Stokes' descendant, but not, but not, bad, but not then. And uh, Forbes, uh, once again, uh, calls somebody a known liar, and closed captioning refers to it as an old liar. Okay, moving along now, 447, Naomi bumps into Daniel uh, from the back. Uh, Forbes, uh, Crothers as Forbes drops his coat onto the floor as he comes in, and he has to pick them up and put them back on the table. And in that same episode, he slams the doors to Collinwood as he goes out, and it opens, and he shuts it again. And once again, 449 is the first, uh, not only the first uh, episode where we have an exorcism, but Angelique's portrait, we see that for the first time. And uh, Angelique's portrait, we will... We will be seeing that a lot more often uh, once we get back from 1795, which will start in the next episode block. In episode 450, uh, apparently Amazon says that a crew member shouts to Bethia Mace, Mapes, we must go to the house because she forgets her line. I didn't catch that, but of course you can take a look and see what goes on. Um, in episode... Uh, 450, in episode 459, uh, when Nathan Forbes is killed, uh, the line, you didn't hit my heart, is inserted uh, as an audio extra into the line because the original script had Fred saying, you didn't hit me, and in fact it did hit him. It hit him in the chest, but not in the heart. And uh, let's see what else. Oh, look for other members of the cast calling Daniel David. Vicky does that at least twice in the later episodes, in episode 454 and in, and in one other episode. And uh, let's see, episode uh, 460, uh, which is the, once again, the hanging scene, is noted for a Klieg light in the right upper hand corner of the screen as the camera pans there. And also someone runs across the set as the, uh, in the front of the set as the scene starts. So those are a few of the examples of the bloopers on, uh, at this block. We, I hope 
and we hope that you have enjoyed this. And now let's get back to the show. And I'm Jesse Fultz, and this is the Collinsport News. Maud goes to the pub to discuss her traumatic experience of being an almost victim of the Collinsport Strangler. Nathan tries to calm her whilst coming to the realization that Barnabas is the Strangler. Maud discusses that she must leave Collinsport in her drunken stupor. She goes back to her squalid room and is attacked by what seems to be a rather large bat. Barnabas, now in human form, leaves Maud's dead corpse in Trask's room to add more fire to Trask's downfall. Nathan finds the dead streetwalker and uses it as ammunition to get Trask to help him get in good standing with the Collins family. Now, as a side note, considering that Trask is as welcome to the Collins family as the plague, Trask agrees to Nathan's blackmail, but Nathan will help dispose Maud's body in return. Barnabas lures Trask to the old house where he confronts Trask about every act of horror that he has committed against Victoria Winters and the witch trials. He also confirms that Angelique was in fact the witch. Trask is in fear of his life, so Barnabas finishes him off in Edgar Allan Poe style by walling him up alive behind a brick wall where he will starve to death. Though one does have to wonder, if you were going to wall someone up behind a wall, why would you not at least gag them? Maybe Barnabas soundproof behind the wall. It is possible. Hmm, I guess. But did you know that the Literary License podcast did a whole season of Edgar Allan Poe with special guest co-hosts as well? I didn't know that. Where might I find this to listen to it? Oh, it's easy. Just go to their website at www.llpodcast.com, which it was part of their book to screen episodes. Just click under season three and you will find... You will see 12 months worth of episodes. Why, thank you, Jesse. Anyway, now on with the show. We now see that Nathan has called in his friend, the lackluster Noah, to help him fake an attack on Millicent so Nathan can ride in on his white steed to save the day. Noah, dressed as Jeremiah's ghost and carrying Barnabas's cane, tries to attack an armed Millicent who happens to have a gun. Nathan, meanwhile, is hiding behind a shrub. Not a bush, not a tree, but a shrub. Nathan comes out. Noah sashays away, <clears throat> I mean, uh, runs away, and Nathan becomes a hero in the eyes of Millicent Collins. Inside the house, Naomi is pleased that Nathan saved Millicent, but still does not like him. Joshua shows up asking, what the hell is Nathan doing in the house as dogs are to be kept outside? Okay, I made the dog part up, but it fits. Millicent tells Joshua that Nathan saved her life, and Joshua asks, what was Nathan even doing on the premises? Nathan tells Joshua that he will be marrying Millicent and tells Joshua that they need to have a conversation. Joshua leads Nathan to the study where Nathan proceeds to tell Joshua that he knows all about Barnabas and tells him about the cane at the crime scene. Joshua feigns ignorance, and Nathan challenges him to go to the old house, but if he doesn't agree to the marriage, he will air the Collins' dirty laundry to whomever is interested in hearing. Joshua goes to the old house where he sees Barnabas rising from his coffin. Joshua confronts Barnabas, and they have to have a heart-to-heart, which is probably one of the best scenes in Dark Shadows history. 
I definitely agree. Barnabas tells Joshua that he's the Collinsport Strangler and that Angelique was the witch who cursed him into becoming the vampire. Joshua says that Barnabas must kill himself as this will only cause his mother, Naomi, to spare. Barnabas says that a bullet will not kill him, but Joshua does leave the gun there for Barnabas to do the right thing. Joshua returns to find Barnabas standing in the shadows and the gun lying where he left it. Joshua decides that he should go be the one to shoot Barnabas, which he does. He shoots Barnabas in the chest, but Barnabas does not die because he is unable to. Joshua now knows the full extent of the curse and believes he has to find a solution to, prov- to prove that he loves his son and do the fatherly duty. Do Joshua has been relocate Barnabas to the tower. Nathan and Millicent are married as a wedding gift. Nathan decides to drive Millicent mad for her money. Millicent starts it off as there are now lights in the tower where Barnabas is squatting. Nathan uses this to light the fuse into her descent into madness. Nathan also uses passive-aggressive behavior to get his point across. Joshua arranges an overnight outing in Collinsport for everyone at Collinwood. Nathan uses this opportunity to send Millicent to the tower where she comes across Barnabas, who bears his fangs, driving her into real madness. The family goes off, leaving Millicent behind, as I guess it is assumed that she took a carriage earlier on her own. Joshua invites Natalie over to help with the curse and lays all his cards down on the table. Natalie states that a seance could bring help through, though it could be dangerous. Joshua says they must try and try is what they do. After a while, with candles blowing out and a draft flowing through the new house, Bathia Mape shows up. She has been summoned by the supernatural to help attempt to lift the curse of Barnabas. Millicent comes down from the tower, barmy and crazy. Joshua doesn't have time for her, so he lets her be, as he and Natalie are working together with Bathia to help lift the curse. Bathia states that this will not be an easy task, and this this could cause the end of her, but she will try to stay the course. Bathia tries one last time after being left weak from the last encounter with Angelique's ghost. She starts her mumbo-jumbo, and just as she's starting to make headway, Naomi stumbles in causing her to burst into flames, Margaret Hamilton style. I guess that's a bye-bye for Bathia. While this is all going on, Millicent signs over all of her money to Daniel, walks around babbling nonsense and shakes her head so that her ridiculous curls slap her on either side of her face. Nathan is starting to lose his patience, and this starts the unraveling. We shall leave Collinswood and return to the somber death sentence of Victoria Winters. She declares her undying love for Peter and Peter for her, and they begin looking at the options. A, perhaps they will meet in the afterlife after she meets her ends dangling from the rope, or B, he will catch up with her after he lives out his own life, or C, they can make a jailbreak and run away. It seems the former is the best option, so they steal a gun and knock out the jailer, but she gets a flesh wound in the arm, and off they run to Collinwood to ask for help from Naomi, and come across Ben instead. Ben sends Peter to get a bandage in the kitchen and patches up Victoria. Daniel walks in and promises to keep their getaway a secret. Ben is going to help them and takes them to a secret room in the mausoleum as they are the only two cast members left who have not been in this room yet. So off they go to hide. Victoria leans up against a wall and falls asleep and has a nightmare that Nathan is going to kill David, or I should say Daniel. Victoria awakens and asks Peter to go and find Daniel to keep him safe. Now let's look at this logic. Victoria and Peter are wanted by local officials to hang Victoria and maybe Peter. 
They are currently in hiding, trying to not get caught as they would surely be put to death. So Peter going out of hiding to stop Daniel from being kidnapped or killed and putting himself in harm's way is a good thing. And wouldn't you know it, Peter runs off to help Daniel. Nathan, meanwhile, gets Noah in to help with his plot to get rid of Daniel to get the money in his own clutches. Noah reluctantly agrees to it, even though Nathan has yet to pay him for the last debacle that they had were involved with. Noah kidnaps Daniel and takes him to a fishing shack to kill him. The windows blow open, and as he doesn't want Daniel to get a cold before he kills him, goes and shuts the window, giving Daniel time to make a run for it. Daniel ends up in a cemetery because it is obviously the perfect place to run away from someone who is trying to kill you whilst giving away Victoria Winter's hiding place. Victoria, in her delirium or perhaps sleepiness, hard to tell with her sometimes, then opens the tomb for Daniel, and he is now he is too now part of the secret room in the mausoleum club. Daniel tells Victoria that some ginger jit is trying to kill him. Victoria tells him to be still as they listen for noise outside and the room, even though they were talking pretty loudly before. Meanwhile, Peter finds Naomi, who promises to help Victoria. Peter tells her about Victoria's dream, and Naomi tells them to come back to the house, and she will hide and protect them. Peter goes trotting back to the cemetery. Daniel decides to make a run back home and gets caught by Ginger Noah. Victoria hears Daniel struggling and goes out with a gun in hand and kills Noah after a struggle. Victoria is distraught and runs off. Peter runs into Noah's body, whose death was caused by either bad acting or too much scenery chewing. Nathan has been following Peter, thinking about the reward money he could receive once he captures him. And in seeing Peter over the dead body of Noah, Gifford and accuses Peter of killing him. Nathan turns Peter in and is rewarded well. Nathan returns to Collinwood and tells Naomi about Barnabas after Naomi threatens him to leave. Naomi doesn't initially believe what when faced when seeing Barnabas face to face, biting the neck of Millicent, ends up being too much for her to bear. Joshua returns from his quest and how to help Barnabas and him and Naomi talk about their marriage and he shows his life, his love for his wife. Naomi tells Barnabas that she loves him and takes poison and dies. Joshua tells Ben that there is only one way to help Barnabas, and that is wrapping the coffin in chains and putting silver crosses on the inside of the lid, which Ben goes out to do. Joshua tells Barnabas that he must end this madness, and Barnabas says that he will do this on two conditions, that A, he let Ben have his freedom, and B, he gets revenge on Nathan Forbes, which Joshua agrees. Barnabas decides to play with his food, or Nathan, which leave Nathan rattled and feel like a bad Bond villain. Barnabas proceeds to tell Nathan all of his plans, which gives Nathan a plan of action. He shoots Barnabas with a bow and arrow, but it doesn't stop him. And then Nathan gets killed by Barnabas in turn. Barnabas returns to the mausoleum to accept his fate, and his father says goodbye, and they trap him in his coffin to be forever bound for all eternity. Joshua lets Ben go free to become a free man of his own will and adopts Daniel to be the father that he was never able to be to Barnabas. And Millicent, is she wandering haplessly through the halls of Collinwood? Who knows? Victoria is back in jail. She gets a last meal, and Peter showing up to say goodbye. He vows that they will be together again, and nothing will stop him. To a stoic drumbeat, Victoria tells Peter that she will love him forever as she is marched to the gallows. A rope is placed around her tender throat, and she is hung as the final credits roll over Collinwood. 
And that brings us to the end of this Dark Shadows for the month of December. Tune in next month where we'll be eagerly waiting to see what happens next. We can't wait to see you all next time. But for now, we wish you a very Merry Christmas. And season's greetings until next time with the Collinsport News. So, welcome back to the Literary License Podcast. And now we're going to be discussing episodes 440 to 460. So, Patrick, um, what are your thoughts about episodes 440 to 460? It's such a marvelous, huge chunk of the series where it's it's going from one thing and it's becoming another. And the, the, the biggest takeaway I have is how, um, how intimate Barnabas's relationships are uh, as he's losing, you know, he's lost the relationship with Josette, or that certainly is, is uh, you know, literally kind of kind of off the off the show, uh, and and you know, uh, so many horrible things are happening in Victoria, and 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 things don't go well for Barnabas either. However, you know, the thing I really love is seeing his relationships uh, with Ben, and seeing his relationship with his father. For me, I always forget how interesting and crucial and nuanced Joshua is um, and, uh, and the, the huge decisions that he has to make that are theoretically kind of antithetical to who he is. But, you know, so much great drama is about what happens when the mask slips. And Joshua doesn't even know that he has a mask to slip but what's behind it is uh, is, a, is a wonderfully conflicted, interesting character, and and it it gives us so much insight, I think, into who Barnabas has been and who Barnabas is going to be, because you know they're basically this is the hinge between where the show was with Barnabas as a villain and where the show is going to go with Barnabas as the hero and um, arguably the protagonist of, uh, of the series. Um, so for all those reasons, this is a fascinating chunk of the series. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to agree. I have to sit there and say that this is probably one of the strongest books that we've had so far by covering the series sort of thing. Oh yeah. And, and I, and there's, and I had to sit there and say that, you know, this is kind of a precursor to my favorite character for this block is Louis Edmonds' Joshua portrayal is the best we've ever yeah. seen Louis Edmonds. <laughs> I know. Ah, isn't he marvelous? Absolutely. I the, love the Louis The softness, the, the regret, the pain, the agonization, the love. I mean, we got so many emotions and so many Chemistry. colors to his, um, to his acting that we've actually never experienced before because normally the character is roger and joshua was a lot was a lot like roger we kind of got these quirky one and i mean i love louis edmonds i've got nothing you know i can't i have nothing i can say bad about him but we do it's louis edmonds doing roger and then then it was louis edmonds doing roger doing joshua but then in this block we got the whole we've got to sell his whole span of his whole acting charisma and everything that he can bring to this character don't forget and his it, anguish and I had to say some of this, that, that script writing between him and Barnabas and him and Naomi and him, you know, him again when he's, 
you know, even talking to Julia and the, the different flavors that we got there. I mean, exactly. this is something we haven't seen Louis Edmonds <clears throat> do so far in the whole show. And the and the writers, I have to put my hats off to them because they really went all out for that character to give him those lines that he got to speak. I have to agree. I think that the um, what you're really seeing in this block is one of the best points, uh, one of the high points of Dark Shadows, the chemistry between Louis Edmonds and uh, Jonathan as uh, Joshua and Barnabas, the way the father and son interact with each other, the and of course what you guys were saying. It's really one of five plots that they tackled. This was, you know, you really had to keep, the, you really had to see <clears throat> what was happening and what was going because not only did you ha- you had the you had the killing of Trask Barnabas putting him in the wall and oh boy was that was that everybody was so everybody Allen Poe you know oh and speaking of Poe what does a what does a reverend what does a man of the cloth have doing with a stuffed raven in his uh, apartment there in the hotel well, what's was, he do talking to ghosts that's what I was thinking when I was watching it was on the mantelpiece it, it was on the, yeah the stuffed with, raven on the it mantelpiece came with the hotel yeah they didn't have cable <laughs> back then but they would give you a stuffed raven and some saran wrap and uh, the rest was up to you there you go there you go yeah I think I think I think the set designers, the reason why the Raven is there, because of what was going to happen to that. And I think Dark Shadows was the first people to ever put Easter eggs in their episodes. It's a little Easter egg of Poe. Poe is coming. They were also the first people, as far as I believe, ever to put an exorcism on TV. Oh, yeah. Uh, And and, Uh, no, Fred and little Ricky, after they went to California, it was one episode. (laughs) I thought Opie had to be exercised from Aunt B at one point in Andy Griffith's show. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, the, right. That was in the special episode, Mayberry R.I.P. Actually, Barney, the character of Barney Fife was the was the devil himself, actually. And you know, you think, you think, oh, yeah. be so good. They took all oh. those pea soup uh, things. Uh, they edited that out. Can you see? Can you imagine Barney's head turning all around and and so? Forth? Yes, I can. It's just a sequel to the Ghost of Mister Chicken. Uh, or, oh, I love the Ghost true. of Mister Chicken. That's one of my favorite it's an important movies. Film. That's very true. Yeah. Well, I like the incredible Mr. Limpet myself, but uh, he was. I'm a yeah, the ghost, of, ghost of Mr. Chicken has the best cast of character actors that you'll ever see in one film. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, so getting back, so you got the wall, the the walling of Trask, and everybody's jumping up and down. He finally got his. You have, of course, the denouement of Vicky. The you know the with episode four sixty, the last one where she's. Uh, where she's hung, and then all of a sudden you see uh, Phyllis. You know, no, we don't get Phyllis. All we get the hung. Get to that one. No, that's the next. <laughs> that's the, but but she's just about to be. And then you have the killing of Nathan, and oh, what a great where you see Barnabas walking down the hall, and they just focus on his boots, and yeah. you have that music. Bum 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 bum. Nathan bum. had it coming. Let's face it. Was that? <laughs> Nathan had it coming. He deserved Nathan it. Nathan had it coming. Yeah, he turned into a real rotter. <laughs> he really was. 
Talk about acting, though. I mean, Nancy Barrett, I mean, she played. I mean, I know it's supposed to be a daft kind of character, but she really shelled out for this one. I mean, she just she did a great job with it, right down to the little curl slapping on her face and every little nuance of movement. She did a great job with Millicent. That soap opera moment. I mean, you know, they, you know, again, that was, I think, the the one weak element that we discussed in the last block was the, you know, the Millicent uh, Nathan uh, soap opera thing. And we had course, to have some kind of protagonist. And I, kind of yeah, romantic. but but what I was going to say was is that Nancy Barrett really took that character and ran with it, she did. And mm-hmm. especially in this block, and then the killing of Ni, and then the, and then the Naomi. suicide of Naomi. Oh, I know. Oh, my God. That was just so that really that was heartfelt because you knew she was struggling. She's lost all of her children. And as a mother, you know, you can almost feel it because she's lost her family. She's lost her children. Everything has gone right down the crapper. And, you know, finding out about Barnabas is like the the last, isn't it? Absolutely. I also have to say in this in this block, too. this is probably the first time in Dark Shadows that they actually let someone's death breathe a little bit. A little bit. So far, yeah, everyone has been dying. It's like they're dead. Boom. I'm gone. Dead. Dead. No, and then they just moved yes. on. Yes. We're here. We got a little breathe. Got a little bit of a. They got the. You know, they let they let the audience actually feel something. You know, let you know. Let's get involved in the death here and feel the anguish that's going on a lot more than we've had previously. So. My hats off to this block as well because that's what that's been my biggest complaint so far. Of the seventeen ninety five is that someone died and there's no mourning going on. Yeah, it's well, not for, not for not for uh, what's her name, <laughs> not for uh, Abigail. Abigail, yeah, yeah. Abigail. Well, they had a little oh, gift yeah. shot of Abigail's of, ghost. <laughs> it's like Speaking Abigail. Of, something I was. <laughs> Something I noticed that kind of bothered me was because you know even though Reverend Trask is kind of I, I guess him. you could say a buffoon of his practice just because, you know, he's doing all of these hypocritical thing and he's supposed to be a man of the cloth. But, you know, I personally wonder because I've been involved in the church in my past and I wonder what he's doing consorting with what he thinks to be Abigail's ghost because you do not, yes. you're not supposed to no, engage not. with spirits or anything like that. And he would have, because you're just not supposed to, that's just a a firm belief in Christianity that you're not supposed to engage with spirits. And because it is, um, it is just, it's strictly for me. He's a bit of a charlatan anyway, because when he was going after Victoria, I mean, he was was, um, practicing witchcraft out in front of the doorway to get her to run out. You do have to wonder like what it is that he believes, because he seems to, be under this illusion himself of what kind of person he is. Meanwhile, he's, you know, he's playing the same game. He thinks um, that whoever he's accusing of being a witch is playing. So it's, it's kind of strange to try to get down to the nitty gritty of what his character is and what he believes and, um, and seeing that kind of thrown in his face back at him. But don't um, we? But don't we normally? Those things, but. I mean, what's quite funny, though. I mean, you know, maybe maybe this is what they're trying for. But if we if, if we notice now that you know now we're coming into twenty twenty, and if we look at cult leaders yes. and we look at religious leaders, and especially now we you know we live through Jimmy Swag, Swagar and Tat, you know the the Bakers, Tammy Faye and Jim Baker, right, right, right. Jim Jones, and basically, I mean, they all lead, they all led their churches that do what I say, but don't do as I do, sort yeah. of thing, and that's pretty yeah. much Reverend Trump. Yeah. So. Absolutely. And uh, you just get, uh, and even the killing of Noah 
and uh, we, you know, and that's another. I think. I think. To be honest, I think Noah died from bad acting. Craig Slocum said, "Look, it's either me or the hat." Well, what do you want from a pirate? You know, I mean, uh, it was really a caricature of. uh, of, of, Well, I mean, he he would he would have died from all that 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 scenery chewing anyway. It's like, oh my god! (laughs) And and he's going to come back, but you got to give the actor, you got to give Craig Slocum some credit. I mean, he handled a stupid role. In a in a decent way, without that, without any flubs, as I remember, yeah. and uh, and he does come back. Uh, we're not going to say how, but Craig Slocum will come yeah. back uh, in an even more buffoonery role. Uh, but, uh, but 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 anyway, wh- what I was saying before is is that you really have now five plots that they're handling all at once. And, uh, and they did it very, very balanced. Uh, and, and, and of course, the, you know, but, but of course, once again, the best getting back to getting back to Louis Edmonds and Barnabas, I mean, the, you know, these, and even Natalie, uh, they gave Natalie a line, uh, you know, oh, when, yeah. when he was emoting, when he was emoting as Joshua and Natalie says, I've never seen you so human before. Uh, it's how weird this is to see you so human. And it was just that one line, but, but yeah, the, um, you get now the full range. Uh, Joshua now, all the pretense is gone. I mean, he loves to, he loves to order people around, you know, he loves to control, but now he's out of, now he's, he admits that he's helpless in the face. He's in new waters and he's seeking help and, uh, and, 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 and gets, uh, you know, and, and, and by, and, and by the way, uh, the actress who played Bethia Mapes, uh, who she was uh, brilliant. I mean, she could have been on longer. And she should have. I, I, oh yeah, she absolutely should have. I would have loved to see her like as a regular character, as like a psychic in the present or something. Oh yeah, they could have used that's Anita Sharp bolster, by the way, and she, by the way, was born in Ireland in County Cork uh, in 1895. But she has she has done a lot of stuff. She was in Lost Weekend. She was in Jabberwocky. She was in Going My Way. She was in Pride of the Yankees. This was somebody that had uh, had some. Uh Very interesting roles in the movie. She was 73 years old when she did that role. Yeah. And God, uh, same age as Vicky is now. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just keep away. We were ever going to get her on. Now forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> Your birthday is a week after mine, Keith. That's it. <laughs> And I just wish her happy holidays on Facebook, uh, and, and and that's it. Now that's that's it. That you just blew it, Keith. No, but uh, no, but seriously, but but, they, but yeah, they the point that they miss a chance. Uh, she could have she could have stayed on, um, you know, and uh, you know, and didn't, but. But again, then they would have had to prolong seventeen ninety five, and they wanted to get and they wanted to get. To be honest, I would. I actually, um, for the whole seventeen ninety five, this whole block of seventeen ninety five, which you know, four sixty, the end of it, which is um, for the seventeen ninety five, and I have to sit there and say that I do think that they could have 
it it almost felt like a race to the finish line sometimes. And yeah. I do think, yeah. I, you know, I, I mean, once we got to the, you know, the, once we got to the deaths coming up, starting with Sarah and following upwards, I think that they right. could have, they could have taken a little bit more time, a little bit to, to get into more, more depth of it. Cause it did feel like, okay, this is what we got. We got to end it this day. Okay, here we go. Let's finish everything up real quickly it's almost like we might not come back so let's finish you know it's a bit like you know when the Kinda. season gets canceled they do like a final episode it's like and they throw everything in it's like they it kind of felt that way it was kind of rushed so. well you were talking about um louis edmonds and um and joan uh naomi and uh joshua let's not forget that one moment where they're sitting there talking you know about their marriage and about you know how they actually cared about lovely. each other you know, that was like something I'd been waiting to see because before it's all been snarky comments and, and you didn't know, well, do these no. people love each other? Do they not? But you find out they really do have deep feelings for each other in the end, basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do wonder where the hell was Natalie? I mean, I mean, she was at the, she's living in the new I know. house. She disappeared. Then she, disappeared, then she comes back. Where has she been staying? Was she staying at the Blue Whale or whatever place it's called? <laughs> Her room. The three bells. bells. Who, it's the three knows? bells in uh, 1795. Three bells. Oh, I was, I was going to make a joke earlier about like the Trinity because, you know, um, someone said something about the father and the son. Who would be the Holy Ghost, Josette or Angelique's ghost? I right. don't know. Mm. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's it's the Trinity. Or speaking, of, speaking of ghosts, you know, the thing about that, and I come back to the exorcist thing, I thought there was a very interesting thing that when she was, when Bethia Mapes was trying to exorcise him, um, she took, and there was some great writing, and they actually talked about the evil of Angelique being part of the vampire curse of Barnabas. And that's something that was never really explored before. I mean, she cursed him. He became a different per- He became a different creation, a different individual. But all along, it was the curse that was driving him. And now we find out that she is such a part of that curse that that part of her evil is actually internalized in Barnabas. And that's why if they can get rid of Angelique's evil through the exorcism, then they're really getting rid of the curse. It's the two of them are enwrapped in each other. And I thought that was a very nice twist. Very but nice. didn't, but didn't Barnabas kind of bring this curse on himself? A little bit. Yeah. Oh, of course, yeah. of course. But the, but the point is, is that the revenge of Angelique is enwrapped in the curse that is now in, internalized. It's almost like, it, like it's suggesting that the curse of vampirism is not just a curse in and of itself, but it's also, it, it also is vested in the person who curses. Yeah, but I also think it's also because Barnabas is the ultimate millennial. He's always the victim, yeah. and he still and he still mm-hmm. hasn't taken responsibility mm-hmm. of any. Any of his partner. No, that's true. I mean, let's face it, Barnabas too. So he was, and, and, and Barnabas is, the, and Barnabas is the catalyst of everyone's death. He's the he's caused everyone's death. If he stayed in his mausoleum and stopped looking out, you know, stopped <laughs> creeping outside, Sarah would be alive today. He caused the death of his mother. He, you know, he basically did this. He had like no control. I mean, and and then he's running around like you know, flying around in a bat with his cane in his little paws, or he's attacking streetwalkers, <laughs> <laughs> streetwalkers, well, or that, or the hand yeah, the, uh, with uh, I, Timothy Gordon's uh, hand, and 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 I was I was thinking to myself, wouldn't it be interesting if the hand raised the middle? finger at one point but no i was thinking that too (laughs) (laughs) oh i know but for what for what you were saying about 
But if you look at the curse, though, if it, you kind of wonder that maybe Barnabas could possibly break the curse, what they also might be saying that if he broke the curse, would by, by t- accepting responsibility for his part in the Angelique curse, because to be right. honest, if he if he showed a little bit of compassion to Angelique and didn't treat her like some kind of um, kitchen scully slag that, you know, that he minute. thought she was. Well, he, did. he treated her like shit. He did. Patrick. And then, you are. Yeah. Hey. Um, so, you know, I think, I think absolutely the class issues here have to be addressed and they have to be resolved and they, they run really, really, really thick through this. Um, just, you know, does Barnabas marry her with at least a modicum of optimism that this might work out? Mm-hmm. Well, sensitive though. It was a forced marriage, wasn't it? It yeah, was. It was a forced marriage for Barnabas. It was. Well, no, it, not the not the not the marriage to Angelique. Yeah, uh, no, just, the, well, that that was that was to me. See, this is what's the weird thing is because there's more chemistry between Angelique and Barnabas than there was yes, between Barnabas and Josette. Absolutely. Sure. And sure. so, for, so that gave me the impression that Josette and Barnabas were was an arranged marriage to keep the money well, strong okay. within the Probably. family. Probably that yes. was the thing back yeah. then. Um, but they both know, loved each other, Barnabas and Josette, even though it was an arranged marriage on Joshua's part, uh, and maybe uh, Andre Dupre's part, but they both still loved each other. Uh, that was, yeah. or at least they thought they but loved see, each other. Yeah, I mean, sure. it's one of these things where they kept telling us that they love each other, but you'd actually never felt it. I have to say, yeah. say there's no, they never felt the love between these two characters. Well, that you felt more, the you felt more, you felt more love writers. between. Jo- and I don't think it was the writers because um, it might, might be the, it might be the chemistry between the actors, but I found yeah. there was more love between Jeremiah and Josette than there was between. Well, of course, because well, there's much more intensity. Well, there was more physical love, I think, between Josette and Jeremiah, and then on the other hand, you saw more physical love between Bar and Barnab- I mean, yeah, there and was Jeremiah a was younger than <laughs> And we're, uh, we're my my favorite it. is Ben and Barnabas. That's the, that's the real secret that we've been. We've been <laughs> oh my been God. Mr. Barnabas, you got to watch um, out. Mr. Joshua is going to find this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Lord. I want you, Ben. I must have Stay you, tuned for the Dark Shadows reboot. <laughs> Barnabas really, really made much more sense. Than, and then than Josette's picture, Barnabas. Josette's wedding picture turns into Ben's wedding picture. You know, uh, that would be that would be fun. But uh, I, but I think that um, you, you you get a sense. Uh, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. What the hell? Uh, but I think Patrick. Let's hear Patrick's own view. Yeah, Patrick. What's your view on this? I mean, I've I've written about this a lot, and I just I know we're not supposed to go into the future, but but oh, why not? Oh, it's okay. I just I just wrote a very long piece about. Uh, 1169 which is the the big episode where you know Barnabas finally gets over it with uh, with Angelique and um you know I a yes absolutely Jeremiah shows more love uh, with Josette you know that there is there is more fire there and there's more fire of course with Barnabas and Angelique I think because uh, they, hey, they are more attracted to each other, and there's something transgressive going on 
in both relationships that kind of gives it some fire. Now, of course, you know, a couple of them are under a curse, but yeah, that's, that's going to happen. And that can be seen as a metaphor <laughs> anyway. I, I think the important thing to sort of go back and deconstruct here is that, you know, Barnabas didn't just sit around and say, man, I got this one extra musket ball. What am I going to do with it? Right. Uh, oh, I'll put it in Angelique. Um, you know, he, he had, <laughs> whether, whether he was overreacting Terrible or not, <laughs> um, yeah. he, he, he nevertheless, you know, he had a reason for doing what he did, yeah. uh, you know, and he thought, okay, the most that's going to happen is I'll do a little jail time my dad will buy me out of. But, um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, basically Angelique, like Willie Loomis would be years later in Barnabas's view, was a home appliance to people in 1795, the help. I mean, they were, they were appliances. That's why you beat them. It was like, it was like hitting the side of a TV. Uh, there was, there was very little humanity that, that they were necessarily granted. So I, I don't think he thought anything of the consequences of that. And I suspect that a lot of his social peers would have said, geez, Barnabas, it's high time. I'm, I'm amazed it took you that long. You know, do, do you still have the receipt? Uh, as, as horrible as that is, um, you know, it's, it's an ugly moment of class weirdness that goes on there. Um, but I, uh, you know, you, you have to look at why did he do these things? You know, what was, what was motivating him? Yeah. And if, cause you guys just did that episode, probably the last episode of this. Yes, that's correct. So, so exa- what exactly was the catalyst for Barnabas turning around and, and, uh, and putting a cap in it? And putting what? I'm sorry. Putting a cap Judy in it. I also think it's because Barnabas never re- accepts responsibility for anything that he does. He's like a, he's like a spoiled man. He's like a man sure, child. Isn't he? Sure, like sure. But child. what actually in the and, episode does she do that inspires him to pick up the gun? And shoot. Well, she threatens. Well, isn't, isn't Sarah under? Isn't Sarah the one that's under threat of being killed? Or did she die at that point? She died at that. Well, point. we had already died. Okay, I, so I, yeah, I don't remember. I don't quite remember what was going on because I thought she had a voodoo doll. No, that was what. That's that how she got him to her. get her to marry him. That's what I'm. Yeah. Saying. Yeah. She, um, she, got, she, got, she got. She got. She forced him to marry him by sitting there. And I'll, I'll. I'll make. I'll make your sister better, but you got to marry right. Him. right. Yes. Right, yes. Right. Okay. Then, that's what happened. And then. Yeah. And then it, right. And then basically, um, you know, Barnabas is not being the loving husband. And I mean, and, and you know, even, even, I mean, to be honest, Naomi was making more of a try at their marriage than yeah. Barnabas was at that point. True. Um, and then we, and then basically, um, and then it kind of, and then Angelique basically, I mean, because Angelique's a fiery, she's a fiery hot tamale, isn't she? When yeah. she gets, when she gets yeah. something on her mind, she pretty much just, yeah. she spurs out what's in what's in her mind and that's pretty much what starts off barnabas i think the reason i think the reason barnabas tried you know it took that took that shot with the gun that you never saw the smoke coming out of the gun and yes finally when joshua tries try shoots barnabas you actually see smoke coming out of the gun for the first time thank you very much which meant there was a new pope they finally, yeah. <laughs> they finally yeah. figured that one out. Yeah. Um, but I think it was more of a, a buildup, a concatenation of every of, of everything that Angelique did, and I sure. think that was really what 
uh, what you know made him uh, in in a fit of rage. But I think when they actually did, <clears throat> well, before they actually did got married, <clears throat> I think Barnabas was well. I can't have Josette, so you know, let's. And she's practically fawning over him. Uh, and so he's like, well, it, appe- it probably appealed to his ego, which wasn't the most. Never was there a lovelier briar patch. Uh, that's for sure. Or, uh, or a worse. To be bride. honest, though, yeah, you got to wonder what's all, bar- all, all, Bar- all Barnabas had to say was three simple words and all this stuff probably never would have happened. All he had to do is go down to the, he goes, I'm truly sorry. That's all he had to say. Oh yeah. And oh, yeah. that yeah. would have been the sure. end of the show. And yeah. uh, the, you know, yeah, because, but 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 but, but but I mean, but so far, I mean, Barnabas's really career be, before the seventeen ninety five that we've seen, and then up to this point, he had never, I and mean, we yet to see Barnabas accept responsibility for anything that he does. He doesn't. You're right. He well, remember, he, well, he's from a wealthy family. You have to remember that. That's he's right. Not like but now, some but yeah, yeah, but, yeah but, you, but, you, but you can't. But you can't. You can't hold that. You you can't use that as an excuse. That's not an excuse. No. I can murder no, someone but, because basically someone abused me, but that, that, that's not a good excuse to do that, is it? So. But that's the life, that's the, no. that's the mentality that comes from being wealthy and spoiled yes. and living in that lifestyle. It's yes. something that is put in yeah. you. You don't have to take responsibility. You blame it on the lesser people. I agree and with And I Jesse. think that's yeah. what happens, and I, that's I, what... Well, that's what I Barnabas has Jesse. to go through. He was brought up that way. He, he, was, he was comfortable being the He's spoiled... The millennial. Being <laughs> uh, well, how about the Gen Zs? Now watch out, you know. Yeah, yeah, Very different beast. Um, Generation Z, I, I have, I have great, great affection for. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, if these things didn't happen, we wouldn't have a show. Of course. Uh, and I think that's that's the that's the crucial thing. That's where a character has to have that evolution. And it's funny because a guy who does uh, seem to be, I mean, he's the picture of cognitive dissonance. I mean, he just has, has a, a real reluctance to uh, associate that much with reality. Um, and the, 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 and, and he's a guy, this is the thing. He's a guy who, uh, yeah, likes to blame other people for his problems and gets a curse where he has to live off other people, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. literally draining them. Until it starts to become apparent that that may just be a belief that he has, I don't know if that's because he, he tends it. to go later in the show. He goes for long periods without blood, and, and does he ever does drink blood? I hardly ever see the man drink blood. That's yeah, true. yeah. I think they and concentrated so, more on the bite than the blood. Uh, sure, but but my thought is is that rainbows. maybe he actually doesn't need it. He's just told himself that uh you know it's, it's a lot like the netflix dracula that they just did where a lot of his his weaknesses <laughs> pardon I, I couldn't finish watching that series mm-hmm. i okay. think there'll be another season actually well a lot of his no, a lot no, of his, no, his no, now that bbc's losing their license there oh, won't oh. be another one oh, no. a lot of- <laughs> they're losing their license why yeah um bbc no, the government's passed this um law that we're no the Gover- the UK citizens will no longer be paying for BBC, no more TV license. I, oh my God. Oh, so that's you don't the have end to of pay for era. it anymore? Oh, we do pay for it. We, we won't be paying for it anymore. So that means they're going to be commercial television. So oh, What's going to happen no. to Brickbox? <laughs> uh, so does that mean when thing. I watch stuff on my VPN, it's going to look different? 
Or oh, just wow. No, it just means I'll have commercials instead. So is sorry, ITV? Patrick. Is <laughs> sorry, Patrick, yeah. Sorry, Patrick. No, I, no ITV okay. is commercial television. Yeah, uh, that's okay. Um, so what I was uh, what I was trying to say is that I think um, I think a lot of what Barnabas is dealing with is uh, is a set of beliefs that he's put together about you know what he is expected to do, which of course is all he's ever done as a nobleman is deal with what he was expected to do. Right, and um, because you know there's something very interesting about Barnabas as a vampire that we don't touch on that often and that is is that he is a vampire without a lineage there is absolutely yeah, no lineage. Yeah, yeah. well he's a first generation vampire he's, so it's gotta that's right start somewhere and it's and <laughs> what it's, do you call it's, that it's basically greatest american hero is the is the it's the it's the very 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 same premise uh you know down to the uh down to the hairdo that they almost gave him uh he um Good thing he doesn't wear that suit. He has uh, it'd be, it'd be marvelous. The Barnabas is gonna have a but but seriously, he's we, we don't give credit to the fact that in the middle of all of this, he's also having to figure out what am I? And for a guy who comes from a world of very rigid social standards and expectations where everything is spelled out, including as was pointed out earlier, the marriage. Um yeah. For, for him to have to put it together like that, I think it's very interesting. And I don't know if he's actually a vampire. He may be something else entirely. And he just thinks, oh, I heard this legend down on the islands. I guess I have to turn one. I, well, I think you're, you're bordering. Like someone, who's, like someone who's got a disease and Googles it and they think they got, they got that disease. Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. What, you're, what yeah. you're almost describing is hematagia, uh, Keith. <laughs> Maybe we could talk to that a little more. You know, the hematagia in uh, who are the in 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 our world. These are the people who actually believe that they're vampires, and uh, they actually feel they have a need for blood. And hematagia has been documented in the literature, the vampire of Dusseldorf, and and so forth. So maybe uh, so is, is is that kind of closer path to what you're getting at? That it it, it could be. Yeah, it mm-hmm. it could very well be. Mm-hmm. Do you think um, that, um, and this is no disrespect to Jonathan Frid, bless his memory, but do you think that if Barnabas was age appropriate, like the right age that he was supposed no. to be, do you think that we probably we probably would be looking at that character totally different? Oh yeah. Well, he remember would be younger. I mean, think about it because I mean, because John, I mean, Bar- Barnabas, Barnabas looks about forty off the forty easy. to fifty easy. at the time. Remember, they almost picked Bert okay. Convey. For the job, instead of sure. but, but I think, but I think if they picked a Barnabas that was around the age of Victoria or Maggie or yeah. Nancy mm-hmm. Barrett's character, I think that when we got to the 1795 storyline, then I think a lot of things would have made more sense. I think as far as because, oh yeah yeah I, think, I get what we, we've been able to afford his immaturity, his not his, his not his not his total lack of emotional growth as insensitivity. Yeah, insensitivity. The question? world revolves around me, sort of thing. Yeah. Ben Cross was, it? I thought, was a closer. You know, yeah. that nineties revival. He, he he was still a little bit too old. Though. Still I mean, a little bit, was, but he was closer. It well, was more I, relevant, more believable. Pat, what was yeah. your question? Well, he well, had a lot my, more sex my, appeal, so that carry too. on. <laughs> my, my question is, uh, has to do with this. Um, other than some, some gravestones that suggest something, you know, I, I don't know how much, how much of the text 
The actual spoken dialogue is devoted to divulging Barnabas's age. None. How many times? Yeah, there's none. So, so in my thinking, a stonemason screwed up. Basically. Plain and simple. In my thinking, a stonemason screwed up. In my thinking, Barnabas is 44 years old, which is how old Jonathan Frid was. Right. And right. that, to me, makes everything that happens, including his interacting with these younger women, with kind of a, a bit of desperation and a bit of bratishness, all becomes much, much more poignant. Yeah. It's, it's not as neat a story. It certainly isn't a fairy tale story, but it is what we have. And, uh, you know, rumor is Jonathan Frid was somewhat successful in the part. Um, oh, I, and, I, and, yeah, I think he's very successful in the par. I'm, oh, yeah. Extremely. And, and, and if you do think of, and we were talking about this in prior blocks, the pre-vampire Barnabas, uh, Fred was able to inje- inject such believability into the role because of the immaturity, because well, of the spoil. Well, he looked younger before he became. That's my vampire. point. That's my point. He and it could be the makeup. Well, I, think, I, mean, I mean, once he becomes a vampire, I mean, the makeup people did go above and beyond there. Well, the Call of Duty <laughs> sometimes. And, like, and the well, with the, red, with the purple mascara. Like the old peeping Tom, you know? With well, the I mean, at one point, he has, more, he has more eye makeup on than any of the girls in the whole show. I know. So Although like, it's interesting that in the last episode, they, they did the makeup job on Louis Edmonds. And he was, and I mean, it actually kind of worked. He looked, he looked twenty years older than he actually was. He was supposed to be, you know, the agony of what he had to do and, right. and chaining him up, and you could see it reflected on his face. It, he looked. He it looked, makes he, a man look like Joel Gray in Cabaret. <laughs> yeah. Well, Reverend Trascott was wearing quite a bit of eyeshadow as well. Therefore, oh my well. god! I know him and Barnabas looked a little too similar in, in, as far as how like. What what uh, side that they're on? He looked a little too evil, considering he's supposed to be a man of the cloth. Well, um, he, he, looked, he looked like him and Barnabas after the show was over. We're gonna go do a drag show later on. <laughs> it, it is, with, especially with the hairdo, with the bangs that kind of swoop yeah, down in front of the face. Bangs. It's very that was so sixteen hundreds. It wasn't even funny. The bat bangs, uh, which I wish I wish the guy that could have uh, I was able to duplicate that. Um, at the conventions, one of the funniest parts was when Louis Edmonds and Jonathan Pritt got together and Louis Edmonds was clowning around and he says, but you know, when Barnabas said, well, daddy, <laughs> well, daddy, why did I, why did I become what I became? And, you know, and he'd be doing this in the classic Louis Edmonds accent, you know, and, and you just, and, and even I think Louis Edmonds realized at the time that, uh, that, you know, they had this in mind that Barnabas was really the, the kid who never really totally, never totally grew up. And by the time when he became a vampire, yeah, he grew up, but uh, in a very twisted, twisted sense. Uh, but once again, when, when he was younger, when, when the pre-vampire Barnabas was totally, was totally, was, was, did did make him look? He didn't look his age. I know. I think he looked. What do you think, Vicky? I think he looked ten years younger previously. I do, and because he was had more boyish charm going on. There was more of an innocence about him when he was before he was pre pre vampire Barnabas. Because mm-hmm. you know, it, it, 
he just he didn't. St- he still looked forty. That he still looked makeup, forty to me. That, that ghastly makeup wasn't <laughs> going on yet. You know, the eye stuff, the darkness. When, when Barnabas first appeared, I do remember him looking a lot younger with um, a shorter haircut, no bat yeah. fangs, no excessive makeup. He looked so much younger with that, that was, look. That's I think what it was. It was non-excessive makeup, but I think it's yeah. Back then, they all had bad. No, I, I think it's because they kept giving him more lines, and he had a lot more sleepless nights. Yeah, well, they probably <laughs> they're probably trying to go for the quintessential vampire look, not thinking about the storyline, not Basically, thinking about if he if, would be age appropriate or not. If you're a vampire, you're supposed to be hotter and sexier. You're not supposed to be gas nowadays. Nowadays, but no, apparently Bella Lugosi and Christopher Lee and people like that were considered quite a sex appeal for their times. Yes, but yeah, if you, oh, yeah. If you read the books, he's not supposed to look anything like Bella Lugosi. No, but no, but what I'm sitting there saying, Bella Lugosi in 1930s Hollywood when he was cast, yeah, he's considered well, he's an Atenea idol in Hungary. Yeah, and the sex appeal and the sexiness and the raw sexual animalist, animalistic nature of Bela Lugosi on stage and in the film for 1930s—that's what got him cast. That's right. Now, okay, a lot of we, men and women found but, that. But, but, but no, no, but I'm saying, but you're looking at through modern eyes. But if you look at the time that he was cast and what and what his whole stage career was. That's yeah. what you know. That's the reason why he was. The hired. thing is, though, I think the, I I think think the problem with Jonathan Fridge's character is, is that he's a good actor. I got nothing. This is nothing about his character or anything like that. But there are times that there is a lack of sexual prowlessness and sex appeal with Jonathan. Well, Fridge. that's supposed to be with vampires. There's a lot of sexual tension. It's really all but, about sex. And that's what. That's what. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's what. That's what vampires are. It's a mannerism of you know sexual repression. It's, it's vampires are sexual repression from Victorian times all the way up yeah. to now. It's all about also, being sexually repressed. I think that for the time, Barnabas is appropriate. But if you were to translate it today, I think the vampire and how they appear in our stories and things like that in our movies is kind of um, it's kind of based off of the time period that we're living in. Um, you can see like what people throw into what they think a vampire is supposed to be, what he's supposed to look like. I have, I, I don't well, know. That, I think that, it's that was actually, that version. was actually more, that was actually more in tune with Bram Stoker's version yeah. of, of Dracula. Yeah. That's, what that's, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. the reason why we're lucky that that film is still alive today because, oh, I love um, that film. because the, the, I the, think... the Stoker family sued that company and they, they were ordered to destroy every single film. Yes. About Exactly. Well, if, if if any of you have ever actually looked at the Spanish language Dracula, I saw which that. came out in night with Carlos Villarias, which came out in 1931, and they filmed it on the same sets. Uh, they filmed that at night while they did the Lugosi thing during the day, and that went out <laughs> to all the Spanish language countries, and and he was also, but but the Spanish. Uh, 1931 was an was more of an elegance and a, and a European snobbishness yeah. kind of thing that was totally well. Lacking. It's Western, it's Western European versus Eastern European. Correct. Oh. Yeah. Correct. And then we also and another thing is it didn't have that 1920s slant that 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 flappery the 30 slant that the with the eyebrows um, the Bela Lugosi version has absolutely well, no, like, like the clothes like when you see um, Mina. And, you know, yeah. the clothes that she's wearing and all that sort of stuff. Pat, you, yeah, have, but, to, oh, you have a comment? Yeah, I, I do. 
I think that uh, the, the, the we're hitting on one of the most important things about the show. Uh, and it has to do with the semiotics of Jonathan Frid and mm. what he brought to the part and, and specifically what he would bring to the part sexually. Um, absolutely. Everything's very accurate. He was not uh, this smoldering kind of uh, kind of figure for the most part. If anything, he was incredibly afraid and, and that sense yeah. of fear really, really worked with him. Once I did a mental exercise where I tried to imagine some of the other men in the show uh, as Barnabas. And, and I asked myself, I wonder how much Ryan would have been. And I wonder how Dennis Patrick would have been. And, and it, it went fine. But there was something, and this is really what inaugurated Barnabas on the program. If you had had either one of them in the part, or even Joel Crothers in the part, they were so... Uh, uh, comfortable with Eros, you know, that they're, they're honestly, when he had Josette captured, there would have been a rapey vibe. And that would have been real ooky and really unpleasant for the program. But, you know, the entire, because I think that's the thing we have to talk about. There are two men keeping a woman captured and putting her in different outfits. Yeah, uh, that's, that's I'm sorry. That's really, really, really weird. But, but isn't that no uh, but isn't that queer eye for the straight guy? <laughs> I, I guess. Uh, isn't that what they do? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> two gay guys get a woman and they keep dressing her up. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, I mean, it's basically any costuming department I've ever been in. But but the but the thing is, is that at no point do you ever feel like Maggie is really in sexual danger you never feel like there is going to be that violation and then that makes us go well what's front of us into and the fact is is that he's from what i can tell he's into josette he's into erasing the pain he's into doing what he can just like has been noted to kind of take responsibility for what he did but it's in a weird way it's to reform this person a la vertigo yeah uh and and it's exactly vertigo it's changing her back into someone he couldn't save thus saving her but i think if you begin to look at the success of the show and women were crazy about jonathan frid it's true you can't say he wasn't sexually attractive (laughs) he was on the cover of tiger beat and i can talk to women who were alive back then and they freaking loved him and he would get nude photos and all this other stuff. Yeah, yeah and women, I, would, women would say, bite me in the leathers. And and, I mean, yeah. even and I today, the, the Facebook Dark Shadows fan pages get weird, even still. So, But I think it's the same women the, that find him attractive are the same women that probably find Gordon Ramsay attractive. I, okay. Gordon, so they Ramsay's Gordon Ramsay sexy attractive. in a weird sort of way. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? There's, 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 the, those weird, the weird crush things, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It 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 is it is objectively true that it was one of the core elements that made the show such a runaway success. Yeah. And it was sexually it was one of the most interesting accidents of chemistry that I think TV true. has ever seen. True. Uh no, that's and, true. Um, it's certainly true. And we see that all going into the pot here even though we've been enjoying the entree for a while. I do think that another thing that I guess we need to remember, this was daytime television as well, all the 1960s. Uh-huh. I mean, I don't think I don't think soap operas really started juicing it up until the 80s, didn't they? 
though. Well, that's when they had the gay couple was in the eighties. I'm trying to remember which show it was. Was one hospital. I don't think General Hospital Hospital has their gay married couples on there now and stuff. And they, they, but I'm talking about no. I'm talking about when when sex when sexuality really started peaking on daytime television. Dark shadows. Oh, like in an obvious kind of a way. Like yeah. Young and the Restless in the seventies and oh god, like that. That, maybe that's when I mean, that is like like the most incestuous. But the six, I mean, but the sixties and until Dark Shadows wasn't most wasn't weren't they mostly just people sitting around a kitchen table bitching about their neighbors at this point? Soap operas, exactly. There were always handsome doctors. And- there were always handsome doctors and infidelities and things like that. I, I yeah. think right. certainly there was an appeal as much as they could do. To sex, and in fact, in they—I mean, certainly they wanted to, but they just couldn't. But by using a vampire, who's into this, you know, the this this doppelganger of the woman he was in love with, I think you could have a much more forward sense of desire than the other soap operas could afford. Mm-hmm. But it was with Jonathan Frid, and that kind of made it safe. Yeah, in its own way, and yeah. I think women sure. really responded to that. Sure. Um, and they obviously did. And I have to say that when Dark Shadows got a bit too dangerous, um, you can tell they always felt uncomfortable. Look at the look at the first Willie and the way he the way he was That's going true. after mm-hmm. Maggie mm-hmm. and Vicky. Uh, and, and, and he, I, I thought he was there. fantastic as an actor, but it was very uncomfortable. Yeah. You, you did feel that, that rapey flawless. kind of serial killer yeah. vibe with him. Yeah. Whereas with the next Willie, it was a totally different vibe. And at first, when you're used to that other guy, it didn't, doesn't feel right. But then after seeing him so long, seeing him with Barnabas, their relationship makes so much more sense. And he does seem more fitting with what they're going <laughs> for. Willie's the whip and boast. He just is. James Cole oh, was on yeah. for five episodes. And so it would be it would have been interesting to see if they had kept him on and then they gave him the show. Oh, yeah. See how he would have interpreted the difference now in the role of being Barnabas' slave, how that would have uh how that would have interpreted. By the way, I do not want to forget for the Dark Shadows trivia fans out there, who was the maid? Uh, in in this uh, particular block, uh, who I think was talking with uh, Millicent, and uh, that's not on Amazon Prime, uh, and it turns out that her name was Charlotte Fairchild, and uh, here's another thing: she was in the original cast of Damn Yankees, um, and um, Mame, and a few others, and 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 a. And a picture I remember back from there. Do you remember Silent Night, Bloody Night from 1972? Sure. And she yeah. was in there. She was in there. That Charlotte Fairchild was in Silent Night. Was she, Bloody the, was she the nun? She was the she, yes, yes, yeah, yes. Right. And that's the maid. And that's the maid in this block. Uh, I always like to bring that to uh, everybody's attention because so many, um, aside from you know the actors, the actors and actresses we all know about, uh, but there were others uh, such as such as Charlotte Fairchild and others uh, that came into prominence. Marsha Mason, of course, later on, uh, but so many of them came into prominence uh, as 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 a result of Dark Shadows. It was a real breeding ground uh, for uh, for people looking to. To uh, you know, get to get their teeth into the role, uh, if you'll if you'll ex- if you'll excuse the pun. Uh, 
but uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I I I do think all in all though, the this block did if and remember what they had to work with. They they wanted to get they obviously was ratings. They wanted to get back into the present, and there's a lot more good things to handle. But but I but I really think this was an appropriate uh, denouement, don't you think, Pat? I think this oh, was God, yes. denouement. Oh, uh, I'm just just. And especially, it all comes down to Louis Edmonds. Yes. It really does. Yes. It yes. really does. And the chemistry with Jonathan. It, you know, I mean, let, let's oh, not. Yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, that father-son relationship, boy, I mean, if anybody has ever had a, a mediocre relationship with their father, uh, for whatever reason, you don't have, one doesn't have to be a vampire uh, to see that one wants to grow up in the other person's eyes and the other person uh, is still critical and is still trying to say, well, this is what I have to do with you. You'd better do what I say, or I'm going to do this. I mean, there's still, there's still this, this, this pointing around, but, um, and I know, and I know I'm coming back. There's a chemistry between those two actors as well. Mm -hmm. Exactly, Keith, exactly. I know I come back to that, but boy, I mean, you know, that, that, you know, that, that is, that is certainly the hit of the show. And, uh, and, 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 you know, uh, Alexandra Mulkey and Roger Davis did a pretty decent job as well, but they're they were kind of put in the background, I think, at this point. Uh, they, they, I have to say, they're they're. I mean, I think that as far as Roger Davis is concerned, he he was okay. I think that he come. I think we're once we get more, we don't really get the meat of his story at the yeah in this in this what we got so far. You know, we don't right. know a lot. We don't really learn about him. You know, we get the courtroom scene, and it, and then we get like, oh, I love you. I'm going to be with you for eternity, or da 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 da. And then, but we don't really, we haven't really got to know his character because there's so much else going on that's a lot more interesting. Than he the feels kind of thrown in to me. He feels like a thrown in character, like a wrench in the midst of a moving machine that's functioning, and then all of a sudden you're supposed to like throw him in and fit him in somewhere, and it's like, but what are you doing? What's your purpose? I don't know. Uh, but like, I don't know. Dark Shadows is as a whole is a very ambitious show and considering there was nothing else out there to reference as far as like, you know, the things that were already created, like the Bram Stoker, like they're all novels. It's not like there's a function for how to translate all of this to TV. Yeah. And so dark, dark shadows in TV form, especially in the form of a soap opera was extremely ambitious, especially with the storytelling that they were going for, especially this 1795 storyline and the origin story with Barnabas and just time travel through a seance, because let's face it, that doesn't actually happen. Even when you do, whether you use a, a Ouija board, whether you're doing a seance, it just wouldn't happen. But um, it's still like all very fascinating. Remember the first time I watched it, it was like, well, I've never seen anything like this. Even today, there's a certain kind of uh, feeling that you can't capture with anything, no matter how many different supernatural themed tv shows you have there's a certain thing that dark shadows has and manages to capture with the actors with the storytelling with the different elements at play and what Mm -hmm. Catherine lee scott said earlier about like if you were to translate this show into today and do it again and how you would have to have this balance of all of these different things not just make it horror it really is what you have to do because dark shadows started off as something that was a romantic gothic novel, like an Emily Bronte sort of story. And then it translated and transformed into so many different places, but it maintained 
all of it's these all, different things. It's all based on desperation to keep it on the air, isn't it? That's what pretty much saying. Well, yeah, I think that finally appears and then the ratings go up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it pushed all of that out into um, the open from like Dan Curtis's subconscious and whoever else was involved in putting forth these ideas. Um, but they are all kind of metaphors of the human psyche, I think. Like the vampires, um, a metaphor. And I think that's why we all relate to and like elements of horror or ghost stories and things because they are metaphors of the human psyche. And we always relate to these characters despite not actually being a vampire or being a ghost. There's something relatable with all of these different things. And I think that's what makes Dark Shadow so fascinating to so many different types of people. And regardless of their age, regardless of their background, regardless of where they come from, there's always a favorite character. There's always a favorite element, a favorite storyline. And I think it's because it, you know, these kinds of characters, these kinds of stories translate like time and space. I know that's very like philosophical and esoteric and stuff, but I think that's why people are drawn to it even today, like there are probably new people watching. I mean, I wasn't born in the 60s. I wasn't there when it was being televised. And yet I still find myself incredibly fascinated by it, despite having things from my generation, from my, you know, time being born that I could venture into. Yet Dark Shadows is one of my favorite TV shows. And I think there's a reason for that, despite the things that could have been You're an better. old soul, Jess. There's a lot of that, people that out too. there. You are an old soul, baby. <laughs> By the way, an interesting thing, and Pat, I think you might appreciate this. Uh, When Roger Davis uh, was uh, co-hosting with us, uh, and and you were and Pat, you were talking about uh, what would it be if other actors had tried to uh, emulate the Barnabas role? Of course, if we know one of the reasons that Jonathan was successful and it was serendipitous or accidental was because he was so Jonathan was so nervous in terms of doing the role. And he felt that it kind of fed into Barnabas. Well, wouldn't you know, when Roger Davis was uh, was talking, he talked about the fact that Jerry Lacey, Pat, was also very, very nervous when he did the Trask role. And mm. that, that, fed, that that fed in, and he was very, very intense, but he wanted to do it right, and he was very, very, and, uh, and he, was, he was kind of frightened. That, I think, added to the Trask role. An enormous amount. Oh, uh, yeah. In terms of the, you know, in, in term, because he was able to channel that into the, into the, the, the trans character is really a very scared man, uh, if you think, if you think about it. Um, he uses he uses uh, God as, as as a shield, so to speak. But he's really, really very scared that he's nothing without this this image, and that he's all powerful because God is all powerful, and he's able to sublimate uh, that. And because Jerry Lacey, if Jerry Lacey was nervous about the role, he was then able to project the intensity of the Trask character. Uh, into that role, and that and that made mm-hmm. that if, if 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 Jonathan's role signature role was Barnabas, then Jerry Lacey's signature role was uh, this version of Trask because of what he had, because of what he had done with it. Uh, Actually, I prefer. I think he's fantastic in this part. Mm-hmm. I I like. I like where I like when Jerry Lacey comes back in another time period. And I had to I yep. prefer that character a lot more. I, this character, I hate him. I think he's brilliant at it. 
But uh, well, we've yeah. seen Tony Peterson so far. We saw that from yeah. before, and you're going to see that again. But even the Tony Peterson thing is more of a bogey imitation. Uh, well, that's, and, that kind of reminds me of like, okay, Mitch Ryan's gone, so Burke's gone, so we need kind of this kind of Burke-esque kind of character. Exactly. That's, that's a Tony Peterson character kind of reminds me of a little bit. But but Trask, and 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 I and again, I don't want to get too far into the future. There will be various incarnations of Trask. Yeah. And it's interesting to compare them all and to see which ones were naughtier and which ones were nicer, you know, that kind of thing. But of all of them, there's nothing like, there's nothing like this one uh, because, he was, because he was such a bastard. And in the end, he got what he deserved. Uh, and yes, you're going to see that Tress character come back uh, later on, and a very, very interesting uh, vignette, uh, because there was no doubt that uh, f- that, that that there was a the, the, there were Reverend Trask fans just as much as there were Jonathan Fritt fans, and I think they wanted to they want and they they had the right idea in this case of, of continuing with that particular character. Uh, Don't you think also Trask is is kind of like a like kind of like a Marvel villain that basically, you know, he wears his religion like a uniform that is, you know, it's mm-hmm. a shield. It's his mm-hmm. shield. It's his, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's the, you know, the uniform that has all, you know, that protects them from everyone else. But isn't that what, over, isn't that what overly religious people do anyway? Sure. They wear the religion as a shield. Sort of He's thing. the essence of the pious hypocrite. And we have those in all religions, I'm afraid, oh, yeah. uh, because I think it's a form of Schadenfreude. I've always said that, you know, uh, deriving pleasure from other people's pain. And those people who in the religious area uh, cannot accommodate or assimilate themselves to the true aspect of love, which is supposed to be a part of religion. So instead of love, I think they substitute fear for it. Uh, and uh, well, it's, it's the it's the it's the red Corvette um syndrome, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. that you're you're covering up your, you know, little idiosyncrasy. <laughs> you get a red Corvette, so therefore it shows you how masculine you are. So therefore, everyone will think you're. I would, have liked, piece, I, I would have liked the changing. I would have liked to have seen them use. It was so nice to see Abigail again, even as a ghost. I don't think they utilized her. Uh, and I would have liked to have seen them bring back Abigail as a ghost a little more yeah. in that, in that I think they could have done and not just in a dream, you know, they should have had Abigail maybe plot with Trask because it was Abigail's ghost coming back and they still could have plotted the way they did when she was alive. That would have been interesting. Well, I mean, here's something since you did the bloopers, you know, the, the bloopers part of this, mm-hmm. what is the one blooper that every single character in the, in this block had in common? They all called well, the Daniel F- the David F- at one point. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, that's funny. Wow. Every single one of them called him David at one point. Every single character. I thought I was so funny. David, I mean, Daniel. David, Daniel. I think it's because he was missing yep. her so much of this yep. whole 1795 that when he came back, they're like, oh, my God. And, you know, they, have, they never had to use the word Daniel before. <laughs> David. Although, I mean, Daniel. 
Although, notwithstanding that, I don't think there were as many bloopers in this one as there have yeah. been in others. My 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 favorite still. Was I never like, noticed them. This is the. I mean, I never noticed the bloopers. This is the only. This is the only one I noticed. And I thought after a while, cause I think because I the block that I saw him is the ones that he appeared in. So because mm-hmm. what I do is I watch. Um, I tend to watch five five on a Saturday and right. five on a Sunday. Right. And and because they were together that same weekend, that, that's the reason why I noticed it. Otherwise I probably wouldn't have noticed it. But it was like, but every I mean, you know, um oh, Joe sure. Bennett did it. Louis Edmonds did it. Nancy oh, Barrett did it. Nathan oh, sure. did it. It's like it was so funny. <laughs> oh sure. And you know, and again that's what makes Dave, uh, I mean uh, Daniel. <laughs> yeah and, and in a way, you know, we would I was talking before about um Mrs. Brown's boys they kept the bloopers in the show and, and, and time, that's yeah. what made that so damn funny. I mean, it was one scene where he's, you know, he's, he's doing the, he's doing the shtick and the camera accidentally bumps into him and he falls down and they kept that thing in, you know, and then he, he went to the cameraman and he gave him a, and he gave him a pat in the head, you know, that kind of thing, you know, Karen, Karen, I think he called him. Um, well, here it is. I mean, now that was brilliant because Dark Shadows did this accidentally. That show did it deliberately. But I think that adds a real, um, uh, that's a real, that's human. That, that's an extra dimension of humanity. The real world is now encroaching in upon the fantasy world. And it's pure comedy. It's pure comedy. Uh, but Dark Shadows did it first. Pay, I think it's a Cosmos paying back everyone for keeping um, David Hennessy out of this block for so long. They had to do something with him. I mean, you know, he was really very, very underutilized there. Uh, and I think, and, 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 and in this block, you see Daniel behaving a little more like David. Uh, because, you know, frankly, I, I mean, I don't think they made a, uh, I, I don't think Hennessy had a chance to work enough on it so that he could have been in, uh, his own person. Uh, he, he could have been his own individual character. So Daniel turned really out to be a warded version of David. Uh, and once again, we're going to come, this is much, much later, but you're going to see the character of Daniel Collins again, but as an adult, and that's played by Louis Edmonds. So the son mm-hmm. becomes the father, and uh, that's going to be late. That's going to be later on. Now, I do think that before we cut to our favorite and least favorite character, mm-hmm. I do think that we need to cover the very last episode of this block and how successful that is with the hanging of Victoria. Yeah, and I have to sit there and say this was one of the most tense episodes that we've seen so far on dark shadows is the the hanging of victoria and the way that it's filmed and everything about it and then then we get the hanging and of course it ends it goes to black and what we get is the the titles and i have to sit there and say that i think this is the most intense moment that we've seen in dark shadows up to this point right Maybe no, the bur- maybe the burning maybe the of second. Laura and David in the fire, but this is well. Close no, second. I think I think Josette going over the Widow's Hill was pretty intense. But but uh, this is but this is the culmination. Victoria's hanging of everything that's the, come through with the time travel. I know I get what you're saying. Well, see, well, see the Josette thing. We all knew that was going to happen because we've been right, told since yeah. the, you know since the beginning of mentioning Josette, we knew this was going to happen. That's true. But, this is but true. the thing is, we. You know, even as a, as a newcomer, when I first saw this um, episode ever, I just remember going, oh, my God, they're bloody going to 
they're hanging her. Do it. They're yeah. going to do it. They, and they hang her. They're going to do it. And yeah. And, and, you know, and that's, I, you know, I think this is the most surprising thing that we actually see a main character being hanged. And the next now, episode is even better. Uh, she also with, got shy. So, one. I mean, that's kind of intense. I mean, in, in Dark Shadows, when have you ever seen anyone get shot aside from like, I mean, Jeremiah gets shot. Well, you never really see anyone bleed, or yeah, Angel. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, with Angelique, I guess you did see like Angelique get shot twice. Blood. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. Both I guess times, there's something there's something different time, about um, this we show. Were, Barnabas can't aim a gun very well. <laughs> well yeah. I, I see what you mean. It's it it is <laughs> remarkable that, and I was reading the exact wording in the uh, in the 25th anniversary uh, book. Uh, it is remarkable. That that jo- that uh, that that Victoria is hung. I didn't expect her to be hung. I was astounded when I found out she was hung. Um, they really needed to use a dictionary when they when they looked at that because <laughs> there were several references to it. Uh, I shrieked when I saw it. Well, um, I think you don't expect to see violence like that daytime drama, especially for back then. I mean, there was we got their movies and stuff, but this is like soap opera stuff. There's housewives. Yeah, but but I think you also have to remember as far as Victoria's character is concerned, Victoria, no matter what's going to happen, she's going to live through everything. And that's what we come to. That's right. That's right. She's there. She's, I mean, I know that Jonathan and Joan Bennett and all those are star show, but it's basically it's basically the world. This Collins, it's the world according to Victoria. That's what we're seeing. Right. right. Basically, you know, we're, everything's through. We're almost seeing everything through Victoria's eyes. We're feeling everything through Victoria. So they have this character. Well, you kind come. of have to because she was she was the one that was taken from 1960 in there. So she, like we're supposed to well, see things through. Yeah, her but, lens but, or but even from the beginning of the very show, it's every it's. it's the life story of Victoria Winters with supporting. Well, it started out that way, but I do feel like they did deviate that, deviate from that after a period of time where they started to focus on more characters because then they also started to have other characters narrate the show and say, mm-hmm. "That's true," you know what was going on. So I think it stopped. I don't even know when exactly it stopped. Well, but... it, it stops. It stops in the next few blocks. But we'll get yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 it is that thing is that nothing bad can happen to Victoria. Nothing bad ever happens to Victoria. She always pulls out of it, and right. we've seen her pull out of whether she's been kidnapped. She pulls out of it. Whether it's you know for whatever reasons up until this point, Victoria's always come out on top. Even when her life's hanging by a thread, she always comes out on top. Oh, and right. and I also she's stuck na- in the attic, and Louis Edmonds is outside making ghost noises, trying yeah. to scare her when she's. Stuck and then we find, and then we finally realize, like. I think this is the point where we realize that once she's hanged, I think all of a sudden you think, oh my, oh my God, anything can happen to any of these characters. It gives that's you right. the revelation that any of these characters can die at any moment. Well, well she is different when she comes back. Yeah. She's, yeah. you know, that, that here both she and Barnabas, and this ends with both, both Victoria dying and Barnabas dying, and they are both reborn in the 20th century right. as as new people with strange obsessions. And and Victoria is never quite gonna be the same. Uh, yeah, you know, she is she is at this point just on a countdown to vanishing back into the past. You okay. know. But she was always absorbed in the past. The past was such That's a big right. deal to her. Now I'm wondering, you, does she wish? Does she really value the past that much? Well, it's an interesting lesson, Vicky. You bring up a great point. I mean, Careful here she for. always had a romantic <laughs> no. uh, fantasy about the past. 
Now she's living it. It's not so romantic. It's not as romantic as she thought it would be. Not if she's going to get hanged as a witch. Uh, that's for sure. I think if she had it to do over again, maybe she wouldn't have wanted to go back into the. Well, she does have it to do over again, and she goes back. Right. Right, and she'll go back a couple of times, and she'll go back a couple of times. Oh lord! But my point is, is that she had. The thing is also, I guess it's also a lesson, actually, that we, I mean, us as the human race, we tend to fantasize and romanticize the past anyway. Uh Right, that's true, and that's That's what responsibility is. I mean, you know, let's face it. You know, ask, ask, you know, young boys like. You know, or you know, young girls. What you know? I want to live in medieval times. You know, it yeah, sounds like a fantastic time, and in the, you know, you know, some sort of emphasized time. But let's face it: when you see that, you know, that knight in shining armor swimming through the moat, they're swimming through the sewer system because that was right. the moat was the sewer system. You know what I mean? And everyone they were throwing their shit out the window. Look out you know? below! <laughs> and, if, and if people go, "Oh, I want to live in Victorian times," and everyone in Victorian times smelled the body odor. They didn't have to. Yeah. Everyone's teeth was falling out. Every no, you didn't. No one had good teeth. You had no, and they had, a, they had a lot of venereal disease too. Yeah, and I mean, rampant. You by the time you were eight years old, your teeth were falling out during Victorian times. Everyone's teeth didn't amount to matter how much money you had. And what was the you average lifespan? And what was the average lifespan? 35, 40? 35, 40. Yeah, forty. You were an old or person. You got you got married by the age of thirteen to have children. Oh my God. I wanted to also bring out that though we talk about the last episode. Remember also the last episode it involves the uh, culmination of two plots. It's uh, Barnabas and Joshua and him chaining him up in the coffin eventually. Right. And, uh, and of course, the, that last episode starts out with Forbes getting killed. Uh, and uh, Forbes, you almost think that Forbes had the method to kill Barnabas with the crossbow. And uh, and you and there was a blooper, by the way. I think uh, you know the original line was uh, with Fred, "You didn't hit me." Well, then they added, "You didn't hit my heart," because obviously it hit him. But I think they inserted that into the tape. Uh, but the bottom line was is that Forbes getting killed, uh, then putting the, the the final goodbyes, and I think that could have been a little. I think that could have been a little elaborated on a little more, you know, it's it, it, after all the anguish at the end, at the end, they just said, Oh, goodbye. You know, goodbye. Yeah. You know, Cause I think, um, Victoria actually, actually looked up the dates. Victoria gets hung on a Friday when it aired. Yes. Yes. So it was a great weekend thing. Um, but the point is, is that they, so the first half of the episode dealt with, uh, Barnabas being chained and, for, and Forbes being killed and the wrapping that up. And then the second part dealt with uh, the Vickies hanging. So it was a really special episode, I think, because it, it, it wasn't one of these, uh, like I said, like we used to talk about, uh, taking, taking a month for an autopsy report to come out, right. uh, like, the, like in the first year. This was, it's clearly, it's clearly gone. Dark Shadows has now gone beyond the elementary school of that ish at that point in time to graduate school. And that's and where also, that's where I mean, I another it. thing that we also get as well is we get Joshua character changes. He has become a man who adopts Daniel and becomes the father he never was to Barnabas to Daniel, right. we find out yep. as well. Yep. And also Millicent. He, he takes Millicent under his Yeah, mind. I wasn't quite sure what he's going to do with her as she's wandering mad through the halls of... What is he supposed to do with her? He's, he's, he's not going to take her to Trivia Night at the Blue Whale or the Eagle, I'll tell you that. <laughs> 
<laughs> the eagle. That's going to be his the real good that choice. I think he's going to drop her off at the docks and make her work for a living. She can load a crate as, as well as the next guy. Maybe he'll put her in the shipyards. Yeah. Give her a give her a uh, secretary position at the shipyards. You know, but I, I like the idea that out. Joshua adapts, adopts Daniel and becomes the father to Daniel that he never was to Barnabas. And I thought that was such a fantastic add-on that they could i mean they you know they couldn't have said anything but it's such a fantastic way to show that this character who you've seen and that thought you knew has changed his whole outlook on life because of everything that's happened that he's going to become a better person because of it and i thought that was a nice that was a nice touch that they put onto the show mm -hmm. we don't normally get these nice touches put on like that we normally gotta go the story goes, the story closes, and we kind of go on, and the characters haven't really changed. There was that continuity. Much. There was continuity, and they wanted the fans to, and they they took I think special pains not to not to forget about anything this time, and to have all the fans understand that this is really where everybody ended up. And Joshua telling, well, this is what I'm going to say in the history books uh, that Barnabas went to England. What and, happens to the book? What the book? Uh, Does it ever show? It doesn't, up? Refresh it, it doesn't history come back. Book. It doesn't what, come back. It doesn't come back. It doesn't come back with Vicky, obviously, because no. she can't carry a book while she's being hung. Uh, but uh, but I'm kind of I'm trying to remember. I, Pat, I think I think the judges the have it. Doesn't don't doesn't the court have the book as evidence? What do they do with yeah, evidence I think I exist? think it comes back at some point. Uh, you know, it wait, does it come does, back. It does, it does show come up back. No, no, it comes back, and I don't want to get into much, but with, with Eve, when she goes back as Danielle. That's right. I just said about That's two, right. two characters that I don't want to talk about. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, but let's be honest. I mean, if the, book, if, the book is in, if the book is in 1795, Collins Court, right. and it's in their library somewhere, it's always going to be there. Right. Well, actually, you'll, you'll see it. You'll see it. It does come back in a, in a, in a, in a, in a flashback sequence, but it does right. come back. So it doesn't um, get caught up in any of Laura's coming back every hundred years fireplaces. So that's <laughs> <laughs> From the co-writers of the Amazon top-selling serial story, Time Slingers, comes a new full-cast audiobook. Death of a Bounty Hunter, a supernatural steampunk western. Fourteen different characters voiced by eleven professional voice performers. A Korean bounty hunter named Flint finds himself in the middle of an occult plot to steal a powerful relic from an innocent woman. Get me the Iron Spur, and I will show you true power. Caught between the desperate sheriff who's becoming unhinged at the worst possible time. He mutters the word like a curse dipped in sarcasm. I draw my gun and shoot him between the eyes. And the phantom woman haunting his nightmares. The living always think the dead are worse off. Flint will have to make a choice. Confront the sheriff's posse of misfits or run. But he's losing time. An ogre of a man with a gatling gun for an arm. The brash and headstrong Pinkerton agent, Geraldine Abernathy and a young, speedster idiot ludicrously named Fancy Dude. They'll all converge at the home of a widow who's lost everything but possesses the relic they all desire, the Iron Spur. 
Damn that trinket to hell. I don't care what it is or what it does or why the Duskfinders want it. I care about my children. Death of a Bounty Hunter. The weird western you've been waiting for. Available on www.deathofabountyhunter.com. So I think what we're going to do now is we're going to talk about our favorite character and our least character this block. And starting with Tom, who's your favorite character this block and who's your least favorite character this block? Hands down, uh, it's a tie. It's a tie between, well, no, no, it isn't even a tie. Louis Edmonds is number one, is number one uh, as Joshua. Uh, tremendous, as Keith was talking about, as we all were, tremendous range he puts he puts the kitchen sink into this last block as Joshua, because I think at this point also they didn't know that Joshua was was ever going to be coming back as that character, and I'm not going to say anything more about it. But uh, but I think it was uh, it was a tour de force, uh, and the chemistry between him and Frid. So Frid is is just about. Not quite a tie, but just about almost a tie. Louis Edmonds and Jonathan and, and Jonathan Frid. I do want to give honorable mention to Nancy Barrett uh, as Millicent, who once again portrayed the, you know, uh, the plot that we didn't talk about was Nathan's efforts to uh, to drive, try and get Millicent to appear insane. Drive her crazy. Drive her crazy. And Send her upstairs to the out the room where uh, Barnabas was in the right, tower. and that's where Barnabas met her and attacked her uh, to shut her up. Barnabas, that's you what know, drove Naomi over the edge. That, well, that was a different scene where he saw him her biting him biting her in the garden. Right, and that's where uh, you know, yeah, like Chekhov, all this stuff occurred in the garden. Uh, a lot happened in this block. A lot, oh, absolutely. But um, so as far as those are concerned, those, so that's, those are my picks for, for best. Um, so many of them were, so many of them were really, really good. Um, I can't think of, uh, I, I mean, even the maid, even, even the maid uh, was, was, was really, really decent. Um, I, I think once again, they didn't give David Hennessy a lot to do. Uh, and again, uh, because of the writing, because of the writing, uh, but I wouldn't say he was bad, uh, at all. I think, but, but Daniel turned into a watered down version of David at that point, because I don't think he could, well, what else could he do with him? So that's my thing. And Vicky? Uh, I, I, I would say it was not so much a good, the characters I love the most, because I thought they were all pretty strong. Um, but when it comes down to the, the one thing that I, that really kind of tugged at my heartstrings a lot was Joshua. Yes, he becomes a sincere, nice dude, but his interaction with Naomi, finally, after all that, they go back and forth, you know, the sniping and the drinking and the insults and, you know, and stuff like that, where they finally, you know, we're acting like, wow, we love each other. We, you know, we've lost so much and this is where it's at kind of thing. And they were just so strong, you know. Joan Bennett's always strong, but Joshua really came through. I have to agree with Tom. And my least favorite, I'd have to say, is Noah. He didn't really do anything that notable for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wouldn't notice him if he was gone. 
to tell you the truth. I feel bad he's <laughs> out there and he's listening. And if he's still alive, I'm sorry. No, but, he passed uh, away. Uh, no, that's a long time ago. But he, uh, but there's just, the just something about it. He, they, it was not really so much his fault. They really didn't give him a whole lot going on other than being, you know, uh, the villain, Daniel's jailer, you know, the side villain, the side villain. Yeah. And what about yourself, Jesse? Who's your favorite and least favorite? I don't know how to answer that question. I kind of, I would be able to answer what what my, (laughs) I would be able to say what my favorite plot points were and what my least favorite ones were because I really like so many of the characters and I feel like otherwise we're just going to be repeating the same thing. But uh, I would say my favorite plot points I'll start with my least favorite because I I do think the Trask and Nathan Forbes story drags on a little too much, um, especially with him seeing the hand, him not seeing the hand, Nathan Forbes coming over to visit and make sure Trask is okay, which is just kind of stupid to me. And then seeing, um, oh shoot, what's her name? Millicent. What's the name of the um? Maude. No, um, the Maude, chick that dies, the Maude Browning. Maude Browning, yeah, Maude Browning. Uh, Mala Clifton played her. Yeah, yeah when um, when, when Maude Browning is dead and he comes in and sees her hand and just assumes, oh, you guys were getting it on, <laughs> pretty much. Oh, you, Man you, after you, my own heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm going to amend actually. I'm going to say the worst person. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take back Dave, uh, Daniel. Uh, Mala Clifton is a ghost. Was horrible. Uh, I, I just, I just, didn't, I just didn't like her. You know, she's just like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Uh, you know, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that in. But go ahead. Okay. Um, and then my favorite, I, I always love um, this part of the story with Barnabas, um, and seeing him interact with Naomi finally, with Joshua finally after you know all this time of them not realizing that he's dead because you know. Joshua this whole time has been such a huge skeptic of the supernatural. You know, we've heard the conversations that he's had with, um, doesn't matter what character he has. Louis Edmonds. Oh, it's true. It's true. It's always with all of the characters, but specifically about tarot cards and this, that, and the other thing with Natalie. And, um, I don't know. There's just something so satisfying about, seeing even though it's really sad and heart-wrenching how Naomi dies I've always loved Joan Bennett as Naomi it was I don't know you get to see a different side of Joan Bennett beautiful I mean they dress them up quite well oh I know I know it's she's so much so she's so flattering in this um time (laughs) in this time period she gets gets to wear her bows without keep giving me shit about her bows because I like (laughs) Joan Bennett even said I I like I like her bows too Joan Joan (laughs) Bennett even said that she really liked it when she did the periods and they dressed up because it reminded her really don't blame her it reminded her of when she was in the movies and they had to dress her up stuff like especially when she yeah. did the screen test with Donald she was Berlin. a stunner I, I have to sit there and say though that the the costuming for 1795 is so superior than what we've seen up to this point for all of them i mean they dress oh it's them. true they dress oh, all of the them so very very well and i mean flattering colors flatter i mean nothing looks out of place or out of time it, wasn't it all 
<laughs> Except for Keith, so, which side their bread was buttered on. Take a take a close look though. Take a close take a close oh. look though. It's it's not it's not clothing. But take a close look though at the piece of furniture right underneath Barnabas' oh. portrait. If that don't look like an old time radio, I'll eat my hat. I, I, it really looks like an old time radio with the dials in it. If you, <laughs> you look very closely, I'll have I, to look. I, you have to look. Yeah, they yeah. Did, I mean, the men, the men costumes are excellent. We we got to know we got to know what religion things. each of the actors were. We got to know what side they dressed on. That was great about the men. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> Which side was he dressing on? Especially uh, Jeremiah. <laughs> Well, there's only so many places you can put it. And, and Joshua and corduroy, you know, I mean, I thought that was an interesting touch, you know, his corduroy. No, I used to like Nathan Forbes' character in the beginning, and I just, I realized how much I actually hate him right now with um, these episodes. He's just such a loathsome sword. You want to take a needle uh, and pop him. No pun intended, because I know he his, has, like, really bad acne. But. His last... <laughs> His last good guy gasp was when he was trying to warn Trask about what was going on. And, but even then, oh, it irritated me. Yeah, but even then, you know, you can see he's turning. He's trying to help a bad guy. Uh, so by this point, he was completely and utterly, uh, exactly. Uh, completely and utterly evil. We're, we're all making like the hand, Timothy Gordon's hand at this point, um, on the video. So, you know, where you really get that, uh, Im- Im- impression, but, uh, but, but, but again, Joe Crawford's made rest in peace. He loved that role. And I can understand why. What about yourself, Patrick? Who was your favorite and least favorite character of this block? I don't have a least favorite character in this. I really don't. I don't mean to be Pollyanna with that, but I think this is such a brilliantly constructed uh, machine that uh, that I have no least favorite character. You know, uh, I'm obligated, I think, by by my relationship with the show and and just my personal feelings. I have to go with Barnabas on this. I, you know, I, I think he's very easy to take for granted, but... Um, but and, and I mean favorite. What does that? I mean, I don't want to take a road trip with the guy or something. Um, but uh, but I um, I I love seeing uh, a good man uh, fall, and and that this is this is building the need for him to uh, to 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 regain. Who he, who he, not who he was, but who he could have been, which is what happens over the rest of the series. You can't leave out the episode where Sarah finally appears to him, which is only about a week or so before, maybe it's just two or three episodes before the time travel sequence begins, where she appears to him and she says, Barnabas, you're not a good person. It says, mm-hmm. you have to learn to be good again. You have yeah. to do it, which lets us know that he has a future. So this is where we get to see, I mean, only on Dark Shadows would they set up a flashback. Uh, and, and this is where we see that, um, that fall from, from, from potential happen. And, and it's just fascinating. And I think Fred does a marvelous, marvelous job. You know, the thing is, is that when you kind of break this stuff down and analyze it, you get so close to it that it's very easy to, to, to do the hard thing 
which is to look at characters who are not Barnabas and say, oh, you know, I like that one. And it's it's absolutely true. It's absolutely accurate. You know, personally, yeah, Louis Edmonds' transformation uh, as as uh, as Joshua is just remarkable. And and I I completely get that. Uh, but at the at the end of the day, it's just kind of like Star Trek. If you look closely enough, he is about Captain Kirk. Um, although we never think that we always think that's oh, Spock or, or the ensemble, whatever that means. Uh, but in this case, this really is about Barnabas. And I just, I love him to death in this. I think Mark, Jonathan Frid's just magnificent. And my favorite character has to be, um, Louis Edmond is on Joshua. I love the, I love the way that he acted it. I love the nuances that we got. And it was good to see him break out of the Roger character role that we've seen him through so far up until this point. That's so why I loved mm-hmm. him. My um, honorable mention has to go to Nathan. The reason being for me is, is that to see the char- the actor turn on a dime like that and get someone that you know, so far we've seen him as the good guy, and then we kind of got this kind of shade of gray where it's okay, it might be a little bit menacing, but then we got the menacing version of him. And I got to, you know, it's a bit like when Trask was for me when I first saw Trask, it's like you just hate him. And anyone that can play a role so strongly and that you just yes. hate them the moment oh, you yeah. see them, my hat's off to you because to play that, that villainous part and to make sure that the slime is like, you know, you're like a snail crawling across the lane, leaving a slime trail wherever you go. And right. you're, you know, you got, you're having that effect on someone for me. Trask needs a big honorable thing. mention because he was just. Oh, yeah. good Lord. Yes. God, now, awful human yeah, being. <laughs> yeah. Now, as far as my least favorite, the only, um, it's going to have to be Noah. I, 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 he didn't have enough to do. It's not that he didn't have enough to do. I also, I mean, you know, I'm hoping that I will see a better side of it. I'm not sure if it's not a lot to do, but he, even the actor felt like he was uncomfortable being there. It's kind of like, it felt like a temp being sent in to do a job for a day. And that's kind of what it felt like. There's no, yeah. there's no thing. And it's, it's and, it, and it, all, all his lines are very whiny. There was, and there's, you know, and, you know, I, and I think, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's the actor, but it might it might be the writing as well. It's almost like it almost kind of acts as kind of why is he there sort of thing. And my and my my honorable mention is Maud because I'm sorry, but the only thing missing with her was a Cockney accent, and we pretty yeah. much live in a Hammer Horror area. It's like yeah. you know, the, hook, the hooker who gets attacked. Oh, how you doing, Governor? Oh, you know all that sort of stuff. Kind of remind you of Jack the Ripper movies that we've covered. You know, where the, the prostitutes are talking to the Ripper. Yeah, yeah. Top of the day, Mary Poppins. Yeah, it's kind of there you you know, go. Wait a minute. Are you saying Mary Poppins was the Ripper? No, 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 no. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, we, she we was evil. Some, Mary Poppins is an evil character. Jack the Ripper uh, shows before, and the, the, they have yeah. that Cockney. Uh, they always had that Cockney sure. prostitute. That, they, they you know, took yeah. Mary Poppins the didn't have that. It was Bert that right. had that. Sure. Yeah. Now, wait. But, but said, I'm saying Mary everyone Poppins around co- Mary Poppins had that Cockney. Mary Poppins is a Cockney prostitute? No. Mary Poppins is a Cockney prostitute who's Jack the Ripper. I'm so, I'm, my uh, mind's blown. No, she, she, was a, she was a child those kids either. with her umbrella, you know. Feed the birds, indeed. So, <laughs> we'll get some egg. <laughs> so we're well, she's now. definitely good at gaslighting children. So 
we're going to do now sure. is talk about um, our overall thoughts of this block. And then we'll come to our close. Let's start with you, Jesse, your overall view of this block. At short. Well, overall. this is probably my favorite. <laughs> this is my favorite block. Um, I think at least one of them, just because I do, like I said earlier, love um, seeing characters like, I like to see Natalie and uh, Joshua come together and working on something like in ways that you never would have imagined when you start the show out in, in this period. And then I also like um, to see more of Barnabas as well and seeing Joshua and Naomi finally after turning um, and then seeing Victoria have to go through all of this escaping from jail. Like there's so much to be anxious about in this. Um, I can't say I'm too impressed with like Millicent's character though. That's the only thing because she doesn't have much to do, but I love Nancy Barrett. Um, she's one of my favorite actors in the show. Probably the most, one of the most um, developed actors. I think the one that you've seen um, develop the most on the show and really, shine after you know because i remember in the first few episodes i kind of felt awkward about her character i'm like i don't i don't get what she's playing and i don't really understand her but then she really does develop and she can do all kinds of crazy roles and be normal one second and then go crazy the next so that's fascinating as well to see um yeah. what about yourself patrick what are your um favorite uh, what's your overall views of this block i just i just love it uh, I think that that this is, um, I think, 1795 in so many places is mind-numbingly boring. But this <laughs> final, no, it is. It's just dreadful. It, it, no, it it's is true. This, it is true. It is this pale, pallid, pea soup, green, ugly, time-wasting nonsense. And this block of episodes is absolutely as beautiful and human and exciting and engaging and dynamic as anything, in my personal opinion, that 1960s theater was doing at the time. I think they, they, they do what Dark Shadows always does, which is just take something disastrous and turn it into something absolutely vibrant and wonderful and beautiful. I just, I just think it's marvelous. What about yourself, Tom? Pat. Do you really like this? <laughs> I, 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 listen, you don't, you don't do this as long as we do and as deeply as we do and not, uh, not make the hyperbolic into the real. I'm teasing. But uh, no, obviously, this was a brilliant balance, as I stated before, of five plots. And, uh, and you know, and usually in you know, usually you've got your A, B, and C. Well, you have A, B, C, D, and E here. Yeah. And uh, this was uh, this was just juggled so well. Um, the, uh, you know, and even, um, and, and, and the few bloopers that were there, and, and as I said, there weren't as many. And so I've been the one that Keith pointed out. And I did kind of like when Trask is, when the candle is supposed to be blowing out and it actually isn't, you know, the, uh, that kind of thing. Oh, and the, um, the, the, the Bethia spell of, uh, creating a, an artificial light that Barnabas has to follow in order to get to the old house. Uh, and, and I thought that was, uh, I just, just as he's about to attack, uh, 
Rebecca Shaw, the other doxy. And, um, and, and that was, uh, that was, uh, also, uh, uh, there was a lot of orchestration to this. Lilo Swift did a great job. Sprout was a writer here. Uh, Gordon Russell, Sedgwick, uh, they were all very, very, we don't mention the crew a lot, but I think there, the coordination of this uh, particular block not only has to go to the superb performances of the cast involved, but the crew really, uh, really worked with the cast in order to bring out the best in them. Uh, so I think this is a, this is a rarer because then sometimes that doesn't happen as much uh, depending on what you're dealing with and who you're dealing with. But this was one of those times where it really synergistically worked and uh, so I would say that the, the entire retrospective that we've done to date, this has got to be one of the best, if not the best so far, but more is coming up. But, but to date, I think this was almost the best. And yourself, Vix? Um, well, everybody's pretty much said it. I, I love this block uh, because it's like it comes to the end of something that's really never been tried before and daytime drama basically and i think it worked well i i like how it ended well then again i know what happens next so i can say i like how it ended but i mean it makes you want more and i'm sure if this happened on a friday which it looks like a cliffhanger people were probably running wherever they were running to get to the tvs you know to watch it that day so i mean everybody was pretty strong i mean that it was well written all the actors yeah, they clinched that. It was it was great. I mean, it's Dark Shadows. It's what made Dark Shadows Dark Shadows, you know. And for my, myself, I have to say for this block, I think it's one of the best blocks that they've done up until this point. I think I think the reason for me why it's also one of the best blocks is that it moves at a very, very good rate. There's, it doesn't seem there's a lot of wasted time screening or pacing going on to get to get their point across. It sometimes does happen in a daytime drama but i also like that there was actually for probably for the first time there was a strong emotional center that we don't normally get with dark shadows you kind of watch it and you're kind of involved but you don't get that huge emotional center for me anyway and i found that there's the huge emotional center kind of set this above it and then the, with the shock ending of the last episode you're like right oh my god did they, yeah, did definitely. I just see that it was definitely and- an oh my god moment I gotta, I gotta, I gotta say that this reminds me. Pat was talking about a Star Trek. So there was a Star Trek episode, Muck Time, which dealt with uh, the big fight between Spock and Kirk on Vulcan, and where Spock kills Kirk apparently uh, during the fight. And so this is that when of- Spock had the seven-year itch? Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> the one. That's the one. Pon far. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then you saw what's her Silovsky is to Pow. This is the Vulcan heart. This is the Vulcan soul. <laughs> but anyway, Kirk is killed during that episode. And that was an oh my god moment. That was an oh my god moment because at the end, you know, and, and Spock is like, I'm gonna resign Starfleet and all this, and then Kirk walks right into the room and he's going, Jim! You know, and he's well, Captain, I'm very glad to see you. It's logical that you should be here. But the point is, is that you didn't expect that to happen. Same thing with Dark Shadows. You, she actually died, or she was actually hung in this episode. And it was what Keith was talking about. She the, was as the, hung as most of the men in the show. Was, 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 
Yeah. I'm sure Jonathan and Louie might agree with you. Um, <laughs> we won't. We good. But 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 uh, yeah. But actually, she actually she. Act, oh no, we're gonna. Start, are we going to go start to go? Are we gonna put her in banger again? You know. Um, but uh, oh, this, don't worry. It's only oh, bad no. time for see the banger again. I miss that. I really miss that. I really like it when Burke took her to banger. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> and especially when David talked about, it, I'm going to banger too. <laughs> but anyway, enough of that. Uh, th- so, so this really, um, uh, th- this was this was a real cliffhanger. As 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 good as the perils of Pauline, as good as any cliffhanger you're ever going to see anywhere. And I also like that. You know, I think another thing that helps with this is also they let. He let, we let for probably the first time through the whole seventeen ninety five and through the whole show that we actually got to see a little bit of grieving for a lost character as yes. well, which we didn't yes. get before that. So Agreed. for me, this is very strong. So that brings us to the end of the Literary License Podcast. And just let you know that um, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Our next episode will be The Hunchback of Notre Dame, book to screen, with by Victor Hugo. And we'll be doing the famous Charles Lawton version of the film. Uh, then, of course, we'll be continuing with Bewitched episodes as well. And Dark Shadows will be going from 460 to 482. And our Nature versus Man will be 28 days later and 28 months later. To fund the minds of Danny Boyle. So that's something to look out for. And we'll also be having some guests, special guests that will be announced. So make sure you join up to our newsletter at www.llpodcast.com to make sure you find out who our special guests are. And as a special um, present to all our Literary License Podcast listeners of Dark Shadows fans, we will be premiering our interview with Roger Davis, which will be coming out on Christmas Day. So until that time, what I want to say is good night to Patrick McCray. Thank you for joining us, Patrick. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, good night, Jesse. Have a good night. Good night, Tom. Why was I not made of stone? There's my, yeah, there's an impression for uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, but um, I know everybody's cringing at this point. But uh, good night. Good night. to <laughs> Shut up, Vicky. But good, I'm teasing. But good night to everybody. And ha- Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And Happy Hanukkah as well. Yes, and Kwanzaa. And Kwanzaa. Right. And good night, Vix. Good night, everybody. Happy Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy whatever it is. Whatever floats your boat. Just be safe. And it's good night for myself. Happy holidays. Have a great and happy new year. And make sure we make 2021 so much better than 2020, which is not going to be a hard task for those out there. Uh-huh. Oh, put up the tree. Oh, 
don't know who's coming for me. I don't know who's coming for me.